Funny fact, funny fact, funny fact. What? There's apparently a guy named Kirito in this, right? Hmm? His voice actor is the same as Kirito from Sword Art Online. Wow, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> oh my god. It's such a random oh. character, too. He just, like, confesses to Miko. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wait, 2011, right? Yeah. Okay, hold on. I think Sword Art came out in 2011. Never mind, it came out in 2012. Look at Kirito going to bigger and better things in his what life. What the hell? That's <laughs> so funny. That's hilarious. Oh, so man. So the origin good. story of Kirito is, in, <laughs> is just this really brief rejection in Hanasaka Hero. And that's why he's like, he's so fixated on having this harem. Because he got rejected originally, and he's like, he doesn't oh. want the harem. He just ends up with a harem. It's it's life being like, you know, bitch, you failed one time. We'll just give you the rest of them, <laughs> and he ends up with the best girl, Asuna. <laughs> but what if in the back of his mind, he's always wishing it had been Minko instead? We all know that Minko is his true and only love. But who's the better cook, Minko or Asuna? Oh, no. Oh! Technically, Come technically on. Asuna at the end of the day. Really? Yeah, because she skills it to level 10, which is full max level, and Minko's still just trying to get the radish cut by the end of the series. Yeah, but M Minko's a This is why cook. he's obsessed <laughs> with food! This is why he's obsessed with food! Oh my god, guys, you heard it here! This is why Kirito's obsessed with food. It's because he was in love with Minko and he can't get over her. So he loves wow. sandwich chan the most. Wow. It was all a ploy. <laughs> that lore. Huh. <laughs> LOL. You want the true backstory of SAO? Go watch Hanazaki Hero. <laughs> Applied Anime. I'm Dodo Ballet. And I'm Fan. Join us as we jump in the deep end and dissect our favorite shows. As always, we want to hear from you. Our podcast is hosted on Anchor at listen.appliedanime.com. You can find us on our website at appliedanime.com. You can join our Discord from the homepage of that website, or follow us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com. In this episode, we spoil Tatami Galaxy, Night is Short Walk on Girl, Hanasako Iroha, Katana Gatari, Serial Experience Lane, Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica, and Showa Rengoku Rakugo Shinju. There's also a content warning for suicide, sexual harassment, and graphic violence. So, Feon, what are we discussing today? Today's topic is Hidden Gems.
So just to clarify exactly what we wanted to discuss today, um, for us at least, my original definition of a hidden gem is a series that is not popular, that deserves, you know, more attention because it's a good series. You know, like Diamond, like if you find a diamond in a coal mine, sort of Diamond thing. in the rust. Oh god, we're bringing that back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, guys, this is the last episode of the season, so I guess we're bringing back all the stops. All the stupid jokes we've made. Ha 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 ha. Wow. Anyway, I also was thinking about it more after a while and realized, like, there's some hidden gems from, like, years ago that, you know, don't really get to see the light of day as much. To me, that's also kind of Inuyasha. I mean, like, people have seen it, but you see less people watching it nowadays than you did before. To me, I guess now, a hidden gem is, how at least I explained it to Dodo, was a show that you would believe deserves, like, a shout-out. For like, hey, this is a good show, that might not be everybody's popular choice at this point. Yeah. And again, as I think we mentioned at the end of the previous episode, there are quite a few hidden gems or shows that we believe deserve recognition that we have already talked about pretty extensively in other episodes. So we're not going to talk about those shows again, but just to kind of briefly shout out those shows um so that we know that they're at least included in our list of hidden gems i would say that includes um i would say arakawa under the bridge also scum's wish i think is also underappreciated and actually hated on quite a bit um by people who are aware of it have seen it that's just the the culture of do you understand this series do you not understand the series if you don't understand it you probably don't like it Cowboy Bebop. What? Well, I I appreciate that you acknowledge that you don't understand the show and that that influences your. It was also just boring. But in your your opinion, um, uh, another one would be Happy Sugar Life, kind of for the same reasons. AKA, guys, if you've heard the show's name mentioned more than three times, it probably (laughs) is a hidden gem, or at least a show that's special to us, like Kakaguri. I feel like we've brought up Mm -hmm. a few times. Death Parade, kind of, I would say, is a sort of hidden gem. Would you really? I don't think it's a hidden gem. I think a lot of people have, like... Okay, so, to me, I feel like... I was explaining this before, kind of-ish, but there's, like, an iceberg effect of anime, right? So, like, depending on how far down you get, you get kind of, like... You can even think of it as, like, those, um... Easy to very hard difficulty, like, guess that anime openings. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many anime out there, but, like, you know, the easy levels are all, like... Tokyo Ghoul. Death Note. Death Note. Sword Art Online. Yada yada. Normie shows. Normies watch them. They might only watch that one series. And then you have, like, you're a little bit lower than that. If people, like, you know, really dig deep down, they might watch more of Full Metal Alchemist at this point. It's a little bit deeper down to me. Or, like, a little bit. I mean, I guess it's kind of mainstream. I feel like less people are watching it now, though. Uh, Sure, but. Like, compared to Demon Slayer and shield hero or like new shows i mean like i know it's still on everyone's radar it's still popular but how many people are really taking the time to watch full metal alchemist at this point i mean i probably will pretty soon really it's been on my my to watch list oh the list of death as everyone else calls it the list that when you put it on there that anime dies because it never is gonna be watched that's a lie someday you'll watch it but like it's not gonna be anytime soon I might watch it this summer. You have to watch FMA first, and then you can watch Brotherhood. I know, I know. Learn! 
I don't know. And then fine. B tier would be what? Like Death Parade? Not Warlord. It's um Overlord. Overlord. You know, the shows that like they're not the first pick that people would think of, but like if you go into a little bit of anime, then you're like, oh okay, I yeah, I've like maybe experienced that a little bit. And then you go like deeper and deeper. And you find like hidden I mean like there's hidden gems at every level, but like at the same time. We also have different tastes than most of the anime society too. <laughs> I will say, you making me watch Tatami Galaxy, though, was outside my range of enjoyment. Well, it's good to expose yourself to, to new things. I don't know if my brain was ready for that series either. <laughs> like, I that's think that's fair. definitely a series you have to watch twice. I did appreciate that they kind of eased you into the pool before they just dunked you in the pool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But, like, but yes. So, I guess we can just roll into this one since we're already talking about it. Tatami Galaxy is a series about a guy named... Oh, whoa, I never even realized he was unnamed. <laughs> is he actually? I think so, yeah. That's funny as fuck. Okay. So yeah, the protagonist, I guess, is unnamed. Funny enough. Um, it follows him through, like, two years of his life in college. At the beginning, you just kind of get to know him, all his acquaintances, such as Ozu, who's like... His kind of best friend character who also is, like, not his best friend because he's kind of a mischievous figure in his life that seems to get him tangled into these wrongdoings. But we're going to talk about that later. There's a short-haired girl who's a year younger than him that always shows up, too. Her name's Akashi. There's this, like, guy who claims to be a matchmaking god or, like, he just is kind of, like, this higher... People, like, look at him with, like, not authority, but, like, as if he's a higher being, like you said. He's like an upperclassman mixed with a deity. Yeah, his <laughs> name is Higuchi. Uh, you have this really hot guy who's the like center of this movie circle make, that makes movies, who's like a super senior because it's his eighth year. His name is Jogasaki. I think we'll just keep it at that for like main characters-ish. Mm -hmm. You guys might have heard about one of them a a while ago, if you remember, there's a character named Johnny who comes in later, who is the representation of the protagonist's libido. That was in our uh, noobs episode. It was. And I guessed it immediately, because it wasn't that hard. So when you first watch it, like, this guy, he joins the tennis club, you're gonna meet all these characters, and at the end of the day, a lot of things happen, because he kind of gets mad at all these people in college getting into relationships around him and because he's lonely him and ozu decide to like ruin the fun of their relationships on this they're all like hanging out next to a river and they throw like fireworks at them to disrupt them and makes them mad later on and they pretty much like push ozu off a bridge slash like the main protagonist kind of falls to his death almost but it doesn't really happen because like this is like the the start of the show and then the true reason of the show is that the protagonist is actually taken back in time to the beginning of his college year almost every single episode to then relive and join a different club. And the kind of overall feel I got for it was the main guy character is unhappy with the situation he's put himself in from start to finish of his, like, joining this club to two years later, realizing that everything's not as what he wanted, and then eventually coming to the point where he just kind of blames Ozu for everything. And then right after that goes back in time again and like there's like a lot of little things that are very standardized in each episode i want to say minus like the last two 
that are very like this always happens plot wise but it can it can always change and manipulate a little bit or like you might not see something that happened in like one episode happen for like a couple episodes but then you're like oh wait that line was from that other episode so like it's it's all like intertwined in a way but a lot of i think the main focus is that the main character is unhappy with his life and he blames it on meeting ozu and like just not having this perfect like life that he wants perfect life being the college experience where he joins a club meets a raven-haired girl they fall in love and they're happy right and it kind of goes into this whole prospect of um i think we can even mention a little bit because i watched tatama galaxy for dodo and then i also watched night is short walk on girl which is by the same people right or the same person mm-hmm. they're very like kind of intertwined ish as series the other one's a movie Oh, yeah, fine. The other one's a movie. But there is this one line in the Night Short Walk on Girl that I was like, okay, this kind of makes more sense for Tatami, is that they mentioned, like, the perfect college experience is that someone is expected to find their love in college and be with them for, like, the rest of their life. And college is supposed to be this rose-colored, exciting time where, like, you're in love, you find your person, and you just go with it, right? And so if you take that idea and put it into Tatami Galaxy, it then makes sense why, like, this guy expects to just meet the love of his life and have this rose-colored experience in college, which he pretty much never says he has because of all these, this, that, and that, whatnot. I think we need to, like, really standardize kind of the episode progression. So, like, every episode starts with him freshman year, walking into college, wanting to join a club. The clubs are always different. Then he always meet. He always joins the club, figures out something that's kind of like wrong with the club, and then meets Ozu, who's kind of like this delinquent fellow who looks the same every time. Everyone looks the same every time too. He meets Ozu. Sometimes he doesn't always meet them as like, hey, like we should be bad about do blah, blah blah together. He just kind of sometimes he always knows about him, but it's always like the same defining features of Ozu. It's like he looks like a demon. There's this and that. I don't understand how like he gets along with people. He's also kind of blah, and like. He's kind of a shady character. And then he always, at some point, mentions this girl, Akashi, who's a year younger than him, who, like, is really cold towards people, but she and him seem to get along. Um, she still is kind of, like, more one of those more straight and narrow characters. Um, he see, finds her weakness is, like, she doesn't do well with moths, and then she, he finds out that she has these collectible superhero sets, but she's missing one of them. And then he always runs into this old mystic lady in this one town who tells him almost the same thing every time being like hey you're like you should grab this opportunity when you see it and it's funny because every time he sees her she ups the price and how much she has to pay yeah so like some point like he decides to do something the club kind his whole life kind of goes a screw and he usually is like curse you ozu if i've never met you i wouldn't have had all these experiences and then i could have relived my college dream of like this rose covered colored thing but because of you you ruined it and like it gets to the point where you realize like it's definitely not ozu who's doing this right like it's clearly the protagonist just this is just how his life is like you don't i think there's also this aspect of it of like let's face the reality that not everything's just a rose-colored scenery. Like, like a lot of people have, like, love stories from college, right? They're like, oh, yeah, I had, like, this college relationship, and, like, then we got married, yada, yada, happy, happy. And that's not like it doesn't happen, but it doesn't always happen either, right? Like, it's not always going to be your story that you hear. I don't know, this show very much slaps you with, like, the reality of, hey, life isn't always what it seems, and you should just kind of enjoy what you have when you have it. 
sort of feel. I mean, they really hit home, I think, in the last two episodes when, like, he's stuck in, like, his little, his room that's a four and a half to Tommy size, which I didn't actually know was a thing, but, like, apparently apartment sizes are based off of how big the tatami mats are sometimes. So four and a half is means there's four and a half tatami mats makes the room, and that's, like, the size of it. So that was kind of interesting. Things you learn. But, like, after watching, like, the entire, like, first part of the series, this part is, like, him going to different rooms, but they're all the same, and he finally realizes that he's just in, like, he's switching through different dimensions of his life getting rewound so many times, and, like, being able to see... At the end of the day, if he had just kind of enjoyed life, he would have noticed, like, how kind of fun and how exciting it was, and, like, how much he should have enjoyed it at the time instead of just being stuck in this it's not what i wanted thus i am unhappy with what's happening sort of feel and like there were a lot of interesting episodes i'm not sure if i fully understood all of them i definitely want to like go back and rewatch maybe like the first three or four because that's how long it kind of took me to realize like okay so like this is happening every time and like yada yada and like to be fair i was a little bit after watching, like, the second episode, I was like, okay, this is, like, how it's gonna go down. I'm a little bit annoyed because it's just gonna be, like, a lot of repetitiveness and whatnot. And then when I finally kind of got over myself a little bit, I was like, okay, let's just, like, enjoy the episode for what it's trying to say. And I think the fifth episode, which is the soft circle one, was the one that really, like, I was like, okay, this is kind of actually interesting. And the, the, of course, after that episode, they changed the entire aspect of how they did it. With a three episode arc of the same thing but like how i mean by they eased you into the show right is that they kind of once you kind of get the baseline story down of what i just said then you can start looking for what's different and what's not the same like the first few are definitely like episodes that get you the information you need for later ones while also just like making you still kind of think i think a little bit like they're not as as much thinking though either like tennis circle is the first one it's mainly just him joining tennis club wanting to find a relationship in the tennis club realizing that they all just he's just not good at tennis essentially and everyone else pairs up and then he meets ozu and they sabotage relationships for fun um the second one the film circle i think is interesting when you meet jogasaki because like it's kind of that aspect of um there's that popularity aspect so that was also kind of a simple one where it's like People just mindlessly follow people who have, who they think are kind of of higher standing or higher authority. I think there was one really interesting scene. It's where he's like walking down the street, thinking about life, and he sees Jogasaki. And like for him, he sees Jogasaki on this big chair being lifted by multiple people. It's like golden. He's wearing a crown. He just like looks like he's an empire of his own life and then when it like pans to a second scene you see him just being like you know a drunk a drunkard being carried by his friends and like it it really showed like the idea of you make people what you want to see them as but you might not always recognize them as like maybe they're not as high on that pedestal as you think they are sort of feel it was kind of a fun episode in the sense of like he kind of got his revenge and whatnot and you meet that jokasaki has this doll named kaori that's kind of creepy it's not creepy. Actually, he, like, that doll thing is a whole, like, separate thing I want to talk about later, honestly, because that's its own little side story. But, but yeah, that one, me, um, Jogasaki, he's actually more of a interesting character than you think he's gonna be, honestly, too. But, like, kind of going through that one, you go through, like, the Disciple one I wasn't really 100% sure on, but the Soft Circle one was actually really interesting, I liked, because it was, you remember the, it was, like, this 
cult that he joins. It was like an interesting mix between like a religious group, but also like reminded me of like Trump supporters. Why is that? This is like because there's there's also like not only is it a religious group, but there's also like this marketing aspect to it. So it's like the religious group comes from them being like, oh, we're like all happy go lucky. Like the world would be so much easier if it was just black and white and people were just good innately. Like the main protagonist is just not, you know, he's logical, so he doesn't just think blindly, right? And so he like says things that are like not what they agree with, and they just all kind of smile at him, and they're like, oh, ha ha ha, like yay. But then it also has that other aspect of like being in like this reward system sort of thing, because there's this product that they buy, and if you buy their products, you like get higher in the hierarchy, and so. Of course, like, he sees the chairman's daughter, thinks she's really pretty, wants to talk to her, and, like, actively wants to, like, go up in the system by buying his way up there, essentially. And, I don't know, it's kind of interesting in the sense of, like, there's, like, the the whole, like, oh, I'm doing it for love, and, like, that's my main motivator, and, but, like, finds out the group's kind of continuously crazy, and, like, but he's also kind of crazy for continuing with this group at the same time. But then he never, like, fully gets what he wants either, like, even though people are like, oh yeah, you gotta, like, go see her. you can maybe go see her if you get higher in the hierarchy, and it's just, like, this endless chasing of a dream that's never gonna happen. It's just, like, a way to get more people into the system, essentially. But, I don't know, that one was very interesting, too. I think that was probably one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one that sticks out, but, like, just in general, kind of Talking about some of the themes that you brought up, Fayon, from the show that I found particularly interesting. I'm kicking myself for not suggesting this for our college anime episode. Um, but just kind of this theme of constantly rewinding and, as you're saying, like, thinking about, like, oh, like, my life could be better if I just, like, changed X, Y, and Z, if I had started it differently. And, like, him dealing with all these regrets of, I should have done this differently, if I had just done this thing differently, then my life would be perfect. The the whole show, it felt like, at least to me, the the way the art style is, it feels very um, flat, but not in a. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. But um, it, it's just it's more two dimensional, basically, than a lot of other anime art styles. And it's um, you know very stylistic backgrounds, um, a lot of sort of pastel, and kind of like we talked about with Nisekoi, like it's just it feels very abstracted in a lot of ways. Um, the fact that the characters are have sort of less defined features, literally in the art design, um, kind of allows for them to sort of play more amorphous roles. We talked about in like hentai, where you, you don't a lot of times see the protagonist's face because it's supposed to be someone who can fill in for anyone. And the fact that we have this protagonist who has a fairly, I mean, he's, you recognize him when you see him, but fairly generic. And a lot of these characters have somewhat generic appearances. And, and the fact that he's unnamed, especially, um, sort of has this sort of replicable character to it where you can kind of put the character in any number of situations, almost like a stock character. I mean, you think of Johnny, after all, as this sort of embodiment of like a stock character of a cowboy who represents a particular thing but like the the point is that like it's not just that there's this time traveling plot that allows this to happen it's almost that the characters themselves are able to move through these dimensions sort of seamlessly as part of their character and as part of like the physics of the world you could say or the rules of the world um, or the lack of rules Um, and that kind of 
gives me a sort of sense of it being less of a recording of what literally has happened in this character's life and more of almost an older version of the character maybe looking back and thinking about these regrets and like almost fantasizing about like here are all these different situations I could be in and like playing through it. Um, But of course, when it actually plays out, we see that, as you know, it's in a way pinned down by fate, Um, at least in some sense. And we have to like complicate, like, is this character really like bound by fate or does he have some sort of agency in controlling his own life? I mean, it, it seems to be the case that he is ironically subjecting himself to a fate specifically through Ozu as like this prototypical antagonist or at least in the sense of um, being a sort of inciting character who like introduces evil like a sort of Faustian demon character even though this this whole plot is bound up in repetition of fate that the characters has to kind of realize that it's his own it's a fate of his own making in a sense even if it's not something he's satisfied with and that as you say it's about more so embracing what has happened or what is happening specifically rather than trying to form something perfect out of yourself but this makes me think of it more in terms of and especially pairing this with night is short walk on girl where just a lot like everything is happening overnight um in this very weird abstracted way that this this whole series and especially the movie kind of come across as a sort of dream and as a sort of compilation of memory when you see these characters placed into different situations wearing different costumes playing different roles it's very much similar to the experience of dreaming and seeing like old friends or family members or co-workers or pretty much anyone you've seen before like reworked and refashioned into different contexts that your brain kind of throws at a wall and says here's what you're experiencing (laughs) tonight whether or not you want to dig into what it actually is trying to say about your unconscious or whatever. But like it, it, it very much basically has that, that sort of dreamlike quality to it. Mm-hmm. I do think it is hard to like talk about one series without thinking about the other one a little bit, because they are a little bit intertwined, mm-hmm. but they are definitely also like different. I was wondering if the protagonist slash girl was the same, but they were totally different characters, which was weird too. Like you have like almost all the same characters except for like the main two. But the thing is, like, are they actually different? Like, Yeah, I know. Like, that, there's also that. Definitely something that I think I wouldn't be brave enough to do, or I wouldn't think to do it. If I were the um, director, the writer, the writer is Makoto Ueda, um, the director is Masaki Yuasa, might be mispronouncing that. I, I think it's just a very bold choice to, like, do these, like, iterations that, like, follow a formula, but also don't follow a formula. Like, they're just kind of willing to sort of bend and break their rules whenever they... I don't, I don't know if it's whenever they feel like it or if there's some methodology that we're not necessarily seeing ourselves, if we need to look into it even deeper. But it's, it values its own, like, playfulness, I would say, over its adherence to the rules it sets up for itself, if that makes sense. And I really like that about it. It's a very... Um, yeah, it's just like a loose show stylistically, but it also still has this sort of central coherence around a a very amorphous plot basically i will say i think i made a mistake by watching night a short walk on girl first which i know came out much later primarily because i was really really gunning for 
uh, Don Underwear to also be in the Totemy Galaxy, but alas, he was not. No, he was not. What a king. But, like, why would he be in Totemy if he's just kind of as he is? He's an icon. I don't... Okay, whatever. Don Underwear. Do you just like him because of his name? Yes. Because as a character, he was pretty bland. I do want to talk about a little bit of the... So there's, like, this three-episode arc that was pretty interesting, too, where the protagonist actually got, like, a love interest, where he had to choose, actually, between, like, three of them. But at the same time, I think that at the end of the day, he still kind of is drawn towards Akashi, which is kind of interesting to me, so, like, it's still that usual storyline. But then at the same time, he falls in love with um, Jogasaki's sex doll, which is really interesting, um, Kaori. And I think Kaori's existence is kind of, like, it's a mix of creepy, but also, like, really interesting to me. So Jogasaki's, like, the the guy who's, like, this really hot senpai character that is, like, usually the main protagonist of all the movies in Movie Club. Because he's, like, the president, but also, like, the director and, like, in charge of everything. And everyone swoons over him. But his real true love is this doll named Kaori. And, like, and unlike a lot of sex dolls, right, like... You imagine just kind of one of those blow-up kinds. Like, she looks pretty realistic as a doll, but also, like, he, he like, dresses her up and, like, dotes on her and, like, genuinely loves her. I really like this one scene, actually, when in um a later episode when one of the other characters wants to, like, steal this doll from him and... Um, the main guy character just feels like, wow, like, I don't know if I can do this because, like, you may call it creepy, but, like, he's totally devoted to her. This is maybe what, like, true love is and, like, for how much he, like, just cares for her. And, like, it also makes you think, like, you know what, for how kind of weird it is, like, if he genuinely loves this doll as much as, like, he, like, he wants to, like, get through college and go and live with her eventually and, like, provide for her, like, it also kind of has this creepy feel of, like, if it was a person, right, it'd just be, like, there's this idea of, like, having a a doll person as your significant other where you just marry them because they look good and, like, dote on them still, I guess. But at the same time, you also have, like, he genuinely just is enamored by her. And he's kind of an asshole of a dude, but, like, when it's for the doll, like, it he'll do almost anything for her. It's just an interesting concept. That's probably, like, the strongest relationship in any of these series is him and this doll. Well, and that seems to be a reflection on you know, the character of what a, quote, perfect relationship looks like when you impose all of these social and, like, gender-based expectations on, like, what your perfect college-slash-lifetime romance looks like. And it's and if it's the case that this is the, the most effective iteration of that, it would seem to imply that, like, oh, like, you can only get, like, the, the perfect fantasy if you literally have a doll like something that has no agency of its own like you need an inanimate object to impose your fantasy on for you to be able to live live it out fully i didn't have anything else really specific that i wanted to get with totemy galaxy but i did really enjoy it i definitely want to watch it again because like you i didn't understand a lot of it the first time i watched it i don't think the director really expected the audience to get everything on first watch. I think part of the experience is just kind of letting it wash over you and overwhelm you in a little, in a sense. Um, overwhelm is definitely a word I'd use because they talk like f- at lightning speed. So reading subtitles while watching the series is hard. I mean, I try to, we, we're going to do like a little watch party with um 
can I just say hi and one of our other friends and whatnot. And they've left in episode one and two. So, like, it's definitely not a show that's easy to watch and get through. If you can get through, like, the first part of it, you'll probably be fine for the rest of it. It's also hard to watch series that, you know, like, repeat themselves a lot, in, in my personal opinion. It's mentally stimulating in a way, while also mentally overwhelming in a lot of ways. And I don't know if I'd ever watch it again, even though I say I want to watch it again. But I think you could get a lot out of it if you did watch it at least once. It does have actually a decently high score on MAL too, but I also feel like the people watching it are the people that like are going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I think if you haven't heard of it, you're probably not going to seek it out and then be like, oh, it's trash. I mean, you can tell it's at least well produced, even if it's not your style. Yeah, it's very, the animation's amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, that's Autonomy Galaxy. Check it out. Yeah. Going on to the movie, um, Night on Night is Short, Walk on Girl is about a oh my god, wait, are you is that real? Is the cause the main girl character doesn't even have a name either. They just call her Atome, which means girl. I'm assuming that's what this character the girl with black hair, who's played by Kana Haozawa, who's in fucking everything. Oh, she's yeah. done it. She's made it into this series as well. <laughs> but um it it's interesting because like I wasn't sure if she was supposed to be like another version of the main girl character from the other series or not. But she's also a very different personality. She's very upbeat. She kind of seems a little naive and just wanting to like experience adult life. And she has this older senpai character that like is in love with her from afar. And I think the main in- interesting thing is supposed to be like them both like having this long night. Well, she kind of has like this really fun exciting long night he has this kind of miserable long long night they they also kind of base it off this like this book about a train going from one place to another and it's almost like they're running on parallel tracks in a way too or he's like there's even a point where like they mention that she's more so the train and then like she's the one who's kind of running forward and he's the one that's like trying to catch up with her at different points because like a lot of their interactions are like oh, hey, senpai, I'm nice to see you. And, like, there's a lot of little, like, just, like, oh, hey, it's you moments. And then he's always like, it's a coincidence, it's a coincidence, it's a coincidence, but it's not a coincidence. Like, he purposely puts himself in situations where he meets her. And later on, it's mentioned, like, for a girl who's, like, moving so fast forward and it's hard to catch up with, like, is it really a coincidence that this person is, like, showing up multiple times in your life sort of feel, which was interesting. But besides that, like, the... I don't know if you can even summarize this show because it's pretty much her just like there's like three kind of arcs I guess. Um, the first one being her experiencing alcohol and experiencing other people at, like nightlife sort of feel. Um, and then like the middle part is her trying to find this old childhood book at this old book fair. There's more like four parts I guess because then there's the after the book fair there's a school festival and after the school festival everyone gets sick. And so, like, there's, like, multiple different, like, parts of the story, but all the characters are pretty much the same and intertwined between all of the points. With, like, the nightlife, I guess there's, like, this really fancy alcohol, and to get to that point to try it, you have to, like, challenge this old guy to a drinking contest. I think the whole interesting part of that was when they were drinking, he was like, this is, like, awful. It's, like, kind of all the, you know, it's, like, maybe what someone who would be, like, an alcoholic more so would say, like, this is, like, all their regrets. This is a lot of, like, this is just really heavy to drink. And, like, you have her contrasting it as, like, a naive, more innocent person 
a young woman like drinking and being like this like fills me with warmth i feel like life itself like everything's all happy like the fun party aspect of alcohol and like the two different sides of it and then i think another interesting point that i never really figured out was like the the watches um for her her time moves like very slowly whereas for everybody else time moves quickly and as you age i guess it moves quicker because like i mean you kind of think about like when you're a child time seemed to kind of move slower like it felt like school was a really long time and whatnot and then as you kind of get like older and older time just kind of moves faster and faster as like you're getting to know more friends like once you're in like even college college feels like it was kind of a whirlwind but if you think of like the first four years of your life it felt it kind of felt slower like getting through elementary school getting through middle school was still a little bit slower than high school high school is still slower than college sort of thing and then maybe as you get older and older as things kind of become more and more settled and you've lived longer like time just kind of flies there's a lot of different groups in this one too that all kind of intertwine and there's like i think there's like a few little like interesting arc things there's the um as we said underwear dono who was sitting on a bench across from this other girl who was sitting on a bench and their apples happened to fall from the sky at the same time and bonk them at the same time on the head and like that was the instant he fell in love and like there's this whole like you find out there's this whole like dramatic theatrical play at the at the school festival that pretty much is like his love for this apple girl that he can't find just being like pulled to the public so he can find her and like it's interesting because jogasaki kind of comes in too at some point with his doll um they make kind of fun of him but at the same time like you kind of get a little frustrated because like they're making fun of him for like his pure love that he has for this doll at the same time but whatever but like the the ending scene of that is like you find out that the hot guy who cross dresses sometimes happens to be the apple girl and that there's a point where he's just like i don't care i still love you even though like this other girl confessed her feelings for him and it just doesn't matter because he's so enamored by this like one critical moment of falling in love with this person and then like later on fish happened to follow from the sky because koi fish got caught in a tornado that happened to fall on the school and he and this new this girl on like who confessed to him both get hit in the head with a fish at the same time and then suddenly he's in love with her and so like that scene in general is just kind of interesting to me because like i don't know it's one of those things where it's like one his love is a lot more shallow than you thought because essentially he's like okay until i meet this apple-haired girl i'm not going to change my underwear and thus he became underwear dono and it's like a year later that he finally meets her at the same time like the fact that you think it's like such a strong relationship where he won't like leave her because he's like even though my love is a man and even though like it's not who i thought it was even though this other woman who has confessed to me who i've spent time with i don't care because we've had this one special moment that was everything to me and then he gets hit in the head with a fish and instantly he's in love with the girl that he also got hit in the head with the fish you're just like wow okay all the respect i had for you just kind of gone like it happened that fast and like i'm not saying that his love wasn't pure for like at the time of who he was in love with but like there's also that very shallow feeling of like instantaneously falling for someone else because they also shared a moment like the aspect of sharing a moment with someone shouldn't be like, oh, that's my defining feature, change. It's like the most hyperbolized understanding of romance, like, saturated from what you hear it's supposed to be. It, like, takes, like, romance into, like, not even, like, a narrative context, but, like, character of just specific events 
Like, it's not about the person. It's literally just about... The event that brought them together. Yeah, and, and that's an extension of, like, something more magical about the world, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it indicates fate, basically. Like, this thing yeah. happened between these two people. It doesn't matter who the people are, if they're compatible, anything. It's just about the spectacle, which makes sense for someone who's, you know, involved in theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, that romance story, and then there's obviously the larger romance story between the senpai and the short-haired girl. And I think it's interesting, like, in, even in the opening, I don't know if you paid attention to it, but, like, she's all kind of, like, la-di-da, like, all these cool things are happening to her, and then he's just, like, going through mishap after mishap after mishap, and then that happened during the show, and you're like, wow, that was uh, not surprising. But it's interesting to see, I think it was interesting at the very end, there's this really decently long monologue of the senpai character being, like, he's like critically analyzing his life up until now kind of similar to the character in Tatami where he's like kind of questioning like what have I been doing all these years am I really worth it I feel like I'm really not as worth it like I'm all alone still I'm not getting this rose-colored college life that I wanted um and like everything's kind of going bad I'm never gonna be at the top of the pack I'm never gonna be like even if I do study more and go for a master's it doesn't matter it's just me prolonging like finding a job essentially and then he comes to a point where he's talking about the um short-haired girl and he's like i don't really even know anything about her and i think i've just kind of projected this entire like happy life with being with her and so that's why i like want to be with her and so i'm not sure if i genuinely like her if i just like the idea of being with her and i don't really know her and yada yada it goes down this long like spiral right before she goes to his house to like take care of him and i thought that part was really interesting to see i think it's kind of a one of those things that people like are also concerned about too is like was it worth like more school is, am i really gonna ever be the best i don't think i'll ever be the best that i can be like we hear in storybooks of people who have done so many amazing things i don't think i can be that person and like just feeling like you're average and, and like how much it kind of hurts even though you might be above average or even if you're like you are average but like i don't know it's just it was an interesting analysis on like average life in like three minutes i don't know i just really appreciated that scene i liked um it was interesting like during the book fair thing there was this weird point where like there's these dark books that everyone really wanted and to like be the person who gets to choose which book they chose they had a curry eating contest of like really hot curry or like hot pot or something and the last person standing would be the one who got the book and like you think that like the supernatural senpai guy was gonna win but the main guy character who's in love with like the girl so focused on like gaining her love and getting this book from her childhood back that she he that he like could overpower all reason and like win in the end essentially i kind of laughed at the fact that they were like oh yeah if you get this book she's gonna like fall in love with you and you'll have you'll be set like you'll be in a relationship yada yada i don't know it was like um at the end of the day, he gave her the book, and she fell even more in love with him, I guess. So, I guess it worked. Yeah, and it seems at the end, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but if I remember correctly, it, it ends in a sort of optimistic way, of the, but not in a way that's, like, super defining. Yeah, like, they like have, they're like, they we might start dating together. Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking back on Tatami Galaxy of the ending of Tatami, and, like, I also thought that was interesting, too. That we never mentioned that like Ozo, who like looks like a demon like imp thing, like the entire series finally has a more like like it's not a defined face, but he has more of a human looking face. And I think it's interesting. I do actually really like Ozo as a character, and I, originally I thought it was just like 
he seems like he'd be like this mystical being that the main character is like thought up through each of his renditions of life and like it's just kind of like the evil side of himself that hadn't hadn't awakened yet and like ozo is the thing that really brought out his darker side but at the end of the day you find out that ozo is a real dude he actually like the only reason why he doesn't like talking about relationships apparently is because he he has a girlfriend who's apparently like the really pretty girl who's like the best girl in the entire show my ideas of tatami galaxy are so scattered because the show itself is just so scattered but like the ending was actually really cool because all of it really came together into one which was interesting like the whole like the idea of the blimp getting stolen or like him on a bridge falling off or like Everything like that. Everything was just somehow interconnected with itself, and you're just like, why does this all make sense, yet nothing makes sense at all? Sort of feel. And, like, I really liked at the end when, like, he's like, oh, yeah, there's this boring aspect of me and Akami being really happy together, because they are, I guess. And, like, there's this one moment later on, at the very, very end, when him and Ozo are talking, and he gets the, like, the the imp face towards Ozo, and it's like... It's very interesting because they're like, oh yeah, we're like bound by this dark thread of fate that we were both drawing each other into the Marianas Trench or whatever. It's a fun ending in a way to that show, but also like, I don't know, you just can't hate Ozo because like there's this one point where the main character is really mad at him and like, yeah, you can blame him for like being all evil and all doing all these things, but at the same time, like he's always passionately doing what he wants, so he doesn't regret anything. And I think that's not a bad way to live life either, like as long as you're enjoying life and doing what you want, like, there's not anything to regret, right? As long as you're not hurting people. Yeah, he just kind of teases them. He never hurts anyone, he just teases them, like, yeah. you know? Yeah. As Ozu does. But yeah, that's kind of my my talk of Tatami slash Nighty Short Walk on Girl. Yeah, again, I'll just re-emphasize. I think the movie emphasizes the dreamlike character of it even more, because it's like, one night but it's so prolonged and it's it sort of plays on the on a theme of like the night just keeps dragging on and on and on and even though it's like moving through totally different environments and all these different things keep happening and different subplots arise and i i remember when i was watching it and like by the time it got to like the gorilla theater part and thinking back to like the beginning of the movie like when she's like drinking having fun i was like wow that feels like it just totally different situation like it feels like i watched that like i didn't just watch that an hour ago or whatever and that's i think definitely the feeling of sleeping and going through a bunch of different dreams and even if your your brain is like fixated on like a few things and like you keep sort of dreaming about the same thing it's never the same it's always putting you in different situations beyond its like thematic qualities or reflection social commentary just like as aesthetically as a reflection on what it's like to dream i think it's really interesting in that sense i also just realized that like the they both kind of have the two different aspects of like nightlife too Mm -hmm. of like her like having a fun nightlife where he sees like the the bad darker side of nightlife yeah and that's like based kind of in their characters too because she's so like her part of like her major personality trait is that she's like so happy-go-lucky and basically innocent in a lot of sense that she just like has you know assumes people's best intentions and she's like oh this thing is cool let me try this or whatever and just like explore the world with like open eyes like and she's like open to anything basically whereas he is like dead set on like I want to I want to manipulate my environment in order to get to her no matter what 
and of course she ends up having a great night it is interesting though when you put it that way of like um you know like she's just kind of moving forward right like she's just always moving forward always just enjoying life to the fullest and the moment that she's trying to aim to go somewhere is where she faces difficulty where she's trying to manipulate the path in which she's taking because like before that like everything up to like the school festival scene she's just kind of moving forward constantly like she's meeting a lot of people she's just enjoying her time with them she learns a weird dance but then like when everyone gets sick and she has to start like going to when she starts going to their houses is where she's like caught in a storm it's really dark she has to like work her way through it she's getting clothes from everybody to like help her like getting gifts from them too and she mentions that but like the trip to senpai's house is like the hardest like she has to it's like the longest one and it's the one that she like actually has to push her way to get through and i think that's also kind of interesting too now that you put it that way well that's those two yeah they're very like mind manipulating mine that i made dodo watch are definitely not that they were well fun series though they weren't that Katana Gatari definitely. Okay, Katana Gatari is, but like, Hanasaki Iraha is just like a nice, like, I just really like that show because mm-hmm. it was just very, I don't know if it's wholesome is the right word, but it's just very, like, kind of real, but also just, it is thought provoking, I think. It's not just like an average run of the mill, like, show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does make you think a bit and, like, you just, like, enjoy the characters eventually and you enjoy the situation and you just, like, like watching them all grow. Yeah. Um. In this environment. Definitely. And like, there's moments where I just think back and I'm like, I really want to watch this again. And if it, I wouldn't feel that if I didn't enjoy the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we can go ahead and talk about that after our break. Okay, so for our intermission today, we thought it would be fun to reach out to some of our previous guests, in fact, all of our previous guests, from our first season, because as you know, this is the final episode of our first season, and so we reached out to all of our guests and asked them if they had any particular suggestions for hidden gems. Now, with that said, not everyone has the same level of experience with anime as the two of us of course so there are some that we allowed like for example our collaboration with movie time already submitted a hidden gem for an american movie we figured you know we share that as well it doesn't all just have to be specifically anime but we do want to thank everyone who came onto the show and spent a long time talking with us and also taking our punishment games with a good attitude honestly mm-hmm. Yes, we, we appreciate you being good sports, letting us off of the hook while you were here. We'll start with Lynn. Or can I just say hi? And this is their words, not ours. So whatever is said and whatever they say is their own words. And we do not always accept everything. But I will let you know if we don't. <laughs> I mean, I would never do that. I agree with all my friends. Ha 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 ha. Yes. Anyway, for Lynn, the first series that she suggested was Kakurio no Yodomeshi or Kakariyo Bed and Breakfast for Spirits. She said, This show was surprisingly a lot of fun to watch. 
It's filled with a lot of fantasy and an interesting storyline about a woman who gets stuck in a hidden realm with ayakashi, or spirits. You're taken through an intense drama-filled story focused around this human woman who has begun to run a bed and breakfast. Her second series is Samurai Flamenco, an inspiring and fun anime involving a man who has always looked up to his childhood superhero characters and wants to be one himself. He gets into a lot of antics and attempts to discover how to be a hero with and without powers in this weird world. He even dresses up and might seem like a psycho at first, but I love it. Lin has great taste, generally, so I think Kakuryo and Samurai Flamenco are definitely worth checking out, of course. They sound interesting given her blurbs. The second one who came on here the most was Elastora. So Elastora's suggestions. Tony Kawa, which we've talked about in a previous episode, was a cute slice of life about a young married couple trying to figure out how to live as a married couple. I may have enjoyed that one more because I watched it right when my fiancé and I moved into our house, but either way, it was fun and lighthearted. Plus, the OP is a masterpiece. I don't really keep up with what's considered mainstream and what it isn't, so this might not qualify, but a show I enjoyed a lot more than I expected to was Ascendance of a Bookworm. It starts off looking like it's going to be your average everyday isekai, but the main character is a sickly little girl living in poverty. All she wants to do is read a book, but in a world without paper or the printing press, Books are well beyond any budget her seamstress mother and guard father can afford. So in light of this, she decides to use her otherworldly crafty knowledge to invent paper with the intention of eventually writing her own books. It's super cute, and it's a nice inversion of the usual isekai formula that still scratches that fantasy-slash-power-scaling itch that the isekai genre is really known for. Sounds interesting. It does. I actually have that on my list to watch eventually. Mm-hmm. I do want to finish Tonakawa, because you, chan But... <laughs> I also want to fully watch it so I can finally rail the series for what I think it deserves. Because apparently a lot of people like it, but I'm also very, like, uh, with, like, Crunchyroll originals, too. I also don't think that it's per se a hidden gem, but, I mean, if you liked it, and like I said, if it, you want to give a shout-out to a show, there it is. Okay. I think everyone else has only shown up once since then, too. The shows that were suggested by our friend Can't Threven was the first hidden gem show would be Rakugo. The show itself isn't afraid to touch on dark topics and showcase a part of Japanese culture that is not often spoken about. It also depicts death beautifully while showing the impact that the individualist on all the characters around them. The second show I would say is Violet Evergarden. It shows the emotion in the search to find yourself and find meaning in your own life while trying to understand the concept of what love really is. Both these shows we've talked about definitely on this channel before, mm-hmm. and they're both wonderful series. I would highly suggest watching Rakugo and Violet Evergarden, and if you don't cry on episode 11, you're a monster. <laughs> That's how I feel about that series. But no, I loved both those series too, honestly. And yeah. I definitely think Rakugo is more of a hidden gem, because I just feel like a lot of people wouldn't go out of their way to really watch it, where yeah. Violet Evergarden's kind of, you know, it's on Netflix, so like I feel like more people have tried it, maybe. Still a good series. Rakugo, I will say, I did actually, as just as you said, I started to watch it years ago, and like after the first two episodes, um, which I think are they're like forty or the first one's like forty minutes long. It is. I was I was watching it. It was just like it was good, but I, it was just a little too slow to pull me in at the time, and I got distracted by other things. I will say, I if you find that it's a little slow at first, just just keep going, and it's so worth it. 
It's definitely one of those shows that it takes a bit to set itself up. Yeah. And then you'll really enjoy what it becomes later. I also just really like the art of Rakugo, too. It'd be really cool to see a live performance sometime, even if oh, I don't yeah. understand it. After watching this, I like looked up Rakugo on, on YouTube. Oh, yeah, me too. It was, it yeah. was, it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Next submission is from Twin Leaves, um, who came on during our Memories of Japan episode. He says, I would say Gaikotsu Shotinen Honda-san was really good, and I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Pretty low budget in the animation, but it was really fun, creative, and you could tell it had a lot of love poured into it from the original manga author since it was loosely based on his own life and experiences. I think you talked about it in one of your episodes, but I haven't heard anything about it outside of that. Um, uh, yeah, have we talked about this? Oh, oh the skeleton no. one. No, we haven't talked about this. Yeah, but I remember um, when he was talking about watching it, though. Yeah, yeah, it's the skeleton one, yeah. The skeleton one. Okay, I should put that on my list then. Because I, I, I actually enjoy, like, bookseller-like shows, like, when <laughs> people are in custody. Like, you know what? This would have been a better show to watch maybe than Working. Just Probably. putting it out there. <laughs> but Working's good to have watched, though, because it's it's somewhat popular and it's called Working. Fine. But yes, this is probably this looks like a better show. <laughs> Would have been more fun if anything. Yeah. Than creative. So if you guys remember from our noob episode, we have Mara. I will mention that just because of the limited anime that she has seen. Uh, most of them suggested by me. I think she did really try and think of ones that were not mainstream popular, because I know that she really likes Your Lie in April, but she did not mention it here. But the two that she mentioned were Toradora, because it became surprisingly heartwarming and wholesome as the story progresses, and then Oran High School Host Club, because it's very funny, but also has some deeper meaning slash lessons, and it ended too soon, she says. Which everyone <laughs> feels. It's okay. They mentioned, like, a while ago they were gonna have a sequel to it, and that never came to light so i hope yeah. maybe it will end finally or maybe it'll get a revamp like fruits basket which would be interesting mm -hmm. but um of course these two shows are not very not mainstream like i mean they were in my opinion they were mainstream for sure early 2000 to 2010s not early 2000s probably like late 2000s 2010s because i don't think they were out in the early 2000s but like nowadays i don't know how many people really like watch Torador. I guess like Torador is very much like one of those romantic comedies that a lot of people have seen. But I always love getting a shout out for it because it deserves it. I love Toradora. And then Oran High School Host Club. If you haven't seen it and you like comedy, it's funny. It's fun. It's always fun to go back and watch it. I agree. I actually have, I've seen neither of these, so for me these are hidden gems that I should go watch. They're not hidden, they're just gems that you haven't watched yet. They should be smacking you in the face like rocks on a string. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they are very conspicuous gems, like FMA. One of those things that you should watch. Yeah. Okay, I can read Ari's now. Um, Ari, of course, from the fellow podcast Movie Time that we collaborated with on our anime movies episode. We can link their podcast in the description. They're still going strong. They pump out a lot more episodes than us. They're on episode like 70 or 80 LS. So. Yeah, they, they go hard. So Ari, of course, submitted a, an American film, Mark Forster's 2006 film Stranger Than Fiction, starring Will Ferrell, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Emma Thompson, Dustin Hoffman, and Queen Latifah. Um, she says, might be one of my favorite underrated movies. I don't hear people talking about it much. 
Recently rewatched it, and I find myself thinking about it often. It's an understated role for Will Ferrell, which is hard to imagine. He plays an unremarkable tax man who begins hearing his life and imminent death narrated by a mysterious British woman. The movie is funny, tender, and thought-provoking without trying too hard. And of course, I love when literature is represented and discussed in film. So there's a movie recommendation if you are looking for those. Um, I think I certainly might check this out. I'm very curious to hear about uh, Will Ferrell in a bit more of a dramatic role because it's hard for me to picture that, frankly. I understand that feeling. And last but not least, we have our friend Hey You, who's not only suggested some anime, but also some K-pop groups for that other <laughs> community out there. Anime-wise, she suggested Tokyo Maijin. It's basically where there are zombie-like people and then a group of students get supernatural powers to fight them. I really like the Tatsuma, but I think it's a great show to get into if you're really not into anime, but, it's, but are kind of interested in it. And Tatsuma is adorable with his love for strawberries. The only problem I had with it was the ending, which was kind of abrupt for me. Which is normal, I'm sorry. <laughs> the second anime she suggests is Eden of the East, which is actually on my list. I was curious about that one. I remember how I found it, but it was intriguing to have it open, and then there was this random dude who didn't know what was going on, and he was naked. And then there was a stranger on the phone who could enable him to do anything he wanted, although there was a cost. It's an interesting concept and really piqued my conspiracy theorist brain, lol. It was also interesting to see just how far normal people will go to either get what they want or get out of a situation they don't want to be in. For K-pop groups, the first group that she wanted to mention was Atease, which is an A-member group who are all extremely talented, underrated, and have awesome bangers. Her favorite one being Answer. As a little side gamer fact, apparently the leader, Hong Jong, was the model for the trickster in DBD, who is the second most recent killer that just came out. And then there's another fun member who apparently can sing really high notes while ripping fruit with his bare hands. So if you want to check them out, ATEEZ is capital A-T-E-E-Z, because K-pop groups don't always have easy names. And then the second group she wanted to mention was ACE, A-C-E, with periods between. They are literally so talented! Their voices are amazing. They have some English covers also. So if you don't like listening to songs in other languages, there you go. You got some English covers. Which is a stupid attitude to have, by the way. Sorry, not English covers, but English songs. But yes, I agree with Dodo. It is a stupid attitude to not enjoy music of other cultures and or languages because you can't understand them. You can always look up translations. They're kind of easy to find now because of Google. Mm-hmm. You lazy fucks. Their fully English song named da- is called Down... And they have a Korean comeback called Siren Dawn. They have a female CEO who seems to make them caught up on social issues and whatnot. So she's pretty open with like gender fluidity and also they support gay rights and human rights. And like they just seem like a really cool, like socially aware group, which you don't see as much, I feel like, in K pop sometimes. So yeah, these were our suggestions by our lovely companions that we've met over the course of this fun podcast experience. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us. We thank you. Arigato gozaimasu. <laughs> Alright, back to it. Let's get back into it after this music break.
So Hanasaku Iroha Blossoms for Tomorrow is a show about a high school girl named Ohana who her mom's name is Satsuki and her mom basically is how do I describe her mom? She's crazy. She's a little crazy. She's a little I'd say she's very irresponsible as a mother. She's very impulsive and kind of acts on whims a lot of times, has a lot of like romantic flings and actually relies on Ohana quite a bit to like take care of housework and like cook for her and and everything. Um, but she's also like a journalist. She's pretty busy in her career as well. But the, the sort of inciting event is that Satsuki is like running away from, I believe it's like debt with her boyfriend at the time. And so like they have to leave town. And so rather than inviting her daughter to come along with her, she <laughs> sends her daughter to live at an inn, which her grandmother is the manager of, like the head Specifically boss a Ryokan. A Ryokan, thank you. And so as a condition of her living at this inn, she has to work there, like without any say from her whatsoever. <laughs> and yep. so um, Ohana has to leave Tokyo to go to the small town where the inn is, and she leaves behind Koichi, or Kochan, as he's referred to, who is her best friend in Tokyo. Right before she leaves, he confesses his love to her. She doesn't give him a real response. She just kind of runs away. Her usual. And so she kind of is thinking about Ko-chan the whole time while she's at the inn, kind of regretting like how she left him, feeling kind of bad about how she didn't really give him a real answer, and then kind of like struggling with does she have feelings for him or not? Like, does she want to go back and see him or not? But all the while she's working at this inn and like learning how to be like a waitress basically and like wait on the people at the end because it's not it's not like a hotel right it's a lot more involved like you're cleaning the rooms you're like serving people their meals and you're like talking to them you're being so if you guys don't know what a ryokan is essentially it's like an old traditional japanese house each room is like the tatami mat flooring and like they it's like one of those it's an inn with like a hot springs usually two and so like it's very much, I think, a culture of making you feel at home, but also being serviced. So it goes beyond and above, like, what a hotel does. Like, it's like, you know, you get room service in a hotel, but you don't... It's just not embedded in the bundle of you paying for the room, right? So, like, depending on what level you're doing, like, sometimes they have, like, a main guest room or, like, a more like a dining hall room where, like, everybody has to come to to get their food. But essentially, like, it's just, like, a very hospitable housing situation, but, like, a traditional Japanese house feel. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. So, yeah, she's working there, and her grandmother is really quite strict and very, very professional. Um, and her sort of method of operation is that you like the customer is everything basically like you you are nothing compared to making sure that the customer is served or she doesn't just have that attitude as a manager it's that she is always in that mode like she kind of refuses to be referred to as her grandmother and her son works there as well oh yeah and her son always like tries to refer to her as mom and she's like no call me manager child <laughs> yeah so she always <laughs> She always has, like, this professional distance with her and everyone, even members of her family. And that starts to change 
over time um, because she's actually disowned Ohana's mom, which kind of makes sense because they're like so different in terms of their personalities. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just really sad. But then eventually, um, because her mom writes a bad review of the inn, Ohana's like goes back to Tokyo and convinces her mom to like come and give the inn a fair shot. And that's kind of a moment where they start to grow closer together. But really, a lot of the show is focused on Ohana's interactions with her co-workers. It is still a high school girl anime. Yeah, so she's working and she's also attending high school in this new town, although we barely ever see her at high school. No, no, no. We just want the high school girls. We don't need the high school aspect. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> It's actually a working show, too. They're it is actually a working actively show. working anime. Yeah, this would have been great for that episode, too. Okay, oh, at wow. the time, for some reason, you couldn't find it, though, on... Well, you watched it on Crunchyroll, right? Uh, yeah. It was off Crunchyroll for, like, a half a year to a year, and I was super sad, and now I can rewatch it again. Just putting it out there, watch it now before it's gone. I mean, there are, there are quite a few other characters that are her co-workers that you kind of... They have their own little subplots at times. One of the most notable is Bean Man, because his name is Bean Man. And I think his name is Bean Man because his last name is like the name of like a brand of beans or something. <laughs> so they call him Bean Man. He's just this old, sweet old guy that he's like a, the groundskeeper. But, you know, occasionally he, he has some good advice. I just like to bring him up because his name's Bean Man. I think that's funny. Um, but like, they actually like two other sort of more central characters are Nako and Minko, who are these two girls who are the same age as Ohana, who work at the inn. Ohana gets off on the wrong foot with Minko. She's very much a sundere, and mm, so she kind of has to... Yeah, I love her too. She works in the kitchen, actually, and so there's sort of this dynamic of Minko working in the kitchen while Ohana and pretty much all the other women in the staff are, are working as waitresses. And so I'd say it's kind of a feel-good show, kind of in the same vein as something like March comes in with like a lion um, or like sweetness and lightning almost where it's at least in this case this very determined outgoing protagonist she's like a go-getter like she'll she'll do what needs to be done when it's in front of her she's willing to work as hard as she can and very just very determined to like I'm I'm a worker at this inn I'm like invested in in it 110% even though I didn't choose this I'm going to put everything into this and like make this inn as good as it can be um is really her attitude and that's like really the driver behind the show and it's kind of how it gets the viewer invested in seeing the inn succeed in the first place because the sort of overarching plot of the show is that the inn is losing customers slowly but surely and so by the end the grandmother decides that she's gonna need to shut down the inn and ohana really doesn't want that to happen and a lot of the other staff doesn't want that to happen either because it's not just the workplace it's you know this has this historical significance and for ohana it has this familial significance as well this generational significance and so it's all about trying to work to sort of save the inn but then also kind of coming to terms with the past of like, it gets revealed later that the inn was really the grandmother's creation. She and, and her husband really built it up into this, the great thing that it, that it became and, and still is to the day that Ohana arrives there. And the grandmother kind of realizes later on that like, this was her project, like with her husband and really wanted to do it to like, please him and to like, satisfy her own dream. Um, and so she kind of thinks to herself, okay, well, 
that's not related to all these other people. Like I'm holding back all these other people who should be getting moving on to better things. Like the the head chef could be working at like a much better job. And then Ohana's kind of response to that is like, okay, maybe this started as your dream for you and your husband, but it's grown out into this thing that has affected more people. And it's like affected me. Like I want this in to succeed. So like, it's not just about you. Like stop being so selfish about shutting this in down. Like this is this is bigger than yourself, whether or not you intended it that way. I think the funny part is is that she's trying to be unselfish by closing it, mm-hmm. but then the turn she's then now being selfish for closing it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a selfish motive, but it's like a selfish perspective, basically, mm-hmm. that blinds her to the fact that Ohana and everyone else there still want to see it succeed. So, I think if you want to see. Like the inner workings, at least in, a, in this fictionalized context of this inn, and you want to cheer for the protagonist and, you know, feel like you're becoming part of this sort of inn family, learning about all of them, diving into each of their characters. It's a really, it does that very well. Some people don't like a mind fuck every time they watch a series. No, it's fine. That's fine. I enjoyed this. The premise itself is really fun, but I'm also a sucker for anything that actually has to do with real Japanese cultural sort of things, and I think Ryokan's definitely hit that aspect for me. And, like, getting to understand the inner workings, and then enjoying a real Ryokan when you're at a place, and also, like, kind of seeing it in an anime form, you're like, okay, I, like, understand this a little bit more than just, like, you know, the person just decides to go to a Ryokan. And just, like, seeing all the characters grow, or, like, seeing how all their dynamics change, and just, like, like you said, being feeling like you're almost like part of the family. Like the show's just so good at drawing you in and you just like want to keep watching to see how it just lays out. Like it's not going to be mm-hmm. your it's not going to be a, a show that's really going to make you think too hard, but it's just like a nice wholesome series that you get to see characters struggle with like real time things and you get to learn a little bit about like the interrelations between all of them. Of course, there's like romantic drama. You get your comedy, you get your feel-good moments, you get to meet Kappa Girl. But, like, it's just a fun environment to feel a part of. And I think that's what really draws me into some of, sh- some of these shows, because I just love good, like, light-hearted-ish shows like this a lot. Like, you get the same feel with, like, Saki Side 8, too, which is why I think I love it so much. Or, like, a lot of, like, you know, Slice of Life. You just feel like you're part of this fun environment of people hanging out and you just want to have a good time. And it's not to say it's not a serious show, too, um, because it is a serious show, and I think it tries to deal with serious issues as well. Um, like, especially, like, reading it as, like, a coming-of-age story for Ohana. She really has to deal with a lot of familial problems, um, trying to negotiate between her sort of deadbeat mother and her duper-strict grandmother and trying to, find like, figure out, like, who she is. There's a definitely a time when she's has to kind of confront how shitty her mom has been to her. <laughs> Ohana's really a character that just doesn't seem to fully recognize how much she gets manipulated or taken advantage of um, when she's placed into a lot of these situations. Or like she doesn't understand that like what's happening to her isn't okay. Um, both with her like her mother not adequately taking care of her being forced into a situation where she's has to work as 
as a teenager. It's not necessarily enough for her to throw throw herself into it as hard as she can and just invest herself into it. She also has to figure out, okay, what do I want? Like, what is my dream, right? And that's something that I think her and those those other two characters, Nako and Minko, all three of them are really struggling with uh, throughout much of, of the series. Nako kind of realizing she's not the best waitress, or at least she thinks she's not the best waitress, but um, she has particular aspects that make her good at talking to others, relating to others. Um, but she's especially good in the water. She's a really good swimmer. Um, this is shown when... Well, someone almost drowns. And she saves his ass. And she's just like, meow! <laughs> in the water. And you're like, holy shit! Nako has an ability! <laughs> yeah, it kind of comes out of the blue in that episode, which is just pretty funny. Um, but there's this character named Taro, who's this... Supposedly this this famous author who's who's staying at the inn and he's like staying at the inn while he works on his great his next great uh, work or whatever. Oh yeah, him. <laughs> and it turns out that like he's a fraud. He's not really this great author or anything. Um, he's just kind of there and freeloading. Kind of bum. Um, <laughs> and then he ends up basically they get in a situation. I won't go through all the details, but where he's like standing at the this like cliff. Anyway, and he, like, jumps off the cliff as, like, this, like, romantic suicide. But then he lands in the water, and he's still alive. And so Nako, like, randomly, like, just jumps in and saves him. And everyone's like, what? And turns out, like, Nako's, like, really, like, an incredible swimmer. But she's also really good with kids. And so I think later on she, like, becomes, like, a swim instructor for kids. And it's, like, her, like, finding herself and, like, finding something that she finds this valuable. Awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, Minko is this character who she definitely would not be a good waitress at all. Like, she doesn't have patience for bullshit. (laughs) She'd fucking throw plates in their face. (laughs) Yeah. She's just not a friendly person, which is obviously totally fine. Um, But, you know, she has this dream, like, she wants to be the best cook that she can be. And so even though she doesn't know anything about cooking, she joins... Um, and they're they're willing to take her in and and sort of teach her and train her. And so there's sort of this ongoing arc throughout the series of her trying to peel the radish. Um, and so they're always like these. It's and it's not like a played up thing. It's just a sort of subtle thing that they show every once in a while where she'll she'll be sitting there like trying to peel the radish and then she'll always like mess it up somehow. But I think at the end she eventually just she gets better. That's like at a it, hard ass skill, man. Yeah, and that's it's very difficult. I've never tried it, and I imagine it'd be very hard. But she gets better and better at cooking as the show goes on, and and um, and it's all tied up because she has a um, sort of a crush on the guy. She definitely has a crush on the guy, guy who who trains her. Uh, Toru, I think, is his name. Yeah. And so it's kind of her becoming a better cook is kind of caught up in, in her dynamics with him as well. But like all three of these characters are really growing quite a bit through their work in the inn, like discovering themselves. It's very good in that way. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Ohana is also plays her mom as voice actress wise. Wait, really? Yeah, that is a fun fact. But yeah, I think the overall thing with this show too, I think works really well, and I think it kind of fits in this sort of genre of. And I, I, I don't know. Feel good almost seems too condescending as a as a label for this genre, but like as like a show where you're. Basically, there isn't a clear antagonist in any one character or group of characters because we're like kind of... Like real a, life. Yeah, well, kind of. I, I think there are real antagonists in real life. But 
we assume the best intentions of all of the characters. And for the most part in this show, with the exception of like the scam artist movie guy, but that's just like for a couple episodes, all of the main recurring characters, they all have their flaws, but none of them are overtly evil and they're all trying to do like the reasonable thing or do the right thing. Like as you pointed out, even the grandma, even though she ends up doing things that place her in an antagonist role in opposition to Ohana, you learn that she has the best intentions and that she wants what's best for everyone. And even the mom to an extent, um, who really, again, is, you know, very irresponsible, honestly, very selfish. When you learn more about her, you're able to sympathize with her a lot more and understand a little bit why she is the way that she is. And um, if you really want to know more about her, watch the movie. Mm, okay. I actually like the movie. Yeah, maybe I should watch the movie then. It's on YouTube for free. Oh, wow. No excuses then. Long story short, everyone's trying to do the right thing. Um, but the, the fact that they have different ideas of how to do that, just like any conflict in real life, leads to drama. Can you feel the PA Works studio? That's it. I was wrong last time. I didn't mean Kyoto. I'm Wow, I fucked up that episode. Oh, hard. no. I meant PA Works. But you were Didn't talking I? about, like, Kaon and stuff. And it yeah, was on... that was Kyoto. Yeah, yeah. Is it? No, but PA Works is the one that makes everything look the same. Fuck. Oh, yeah, you did fuck that up then. I fucked up hard. Guys, this is my apology to everybody. It's PA Works. Because don't they look like the fucking characters from... Like, look at these characters. They look like the characters from fucking everything. <laughs> like, Nagino Asakura. Do they not look like this? Shiro Bako. Do they not look like this? True Tears, I guess. Tari Tari. Do they not look like these characters? They do. They really do. I have um, redeemed myself. You're welcome. You're welcome for correcting yourself. Yeah, you're welcome, guys, for correcting myself so you guys know better. Haha. But yeah, well, a couple of things I wanted to point out specifically about this show that, again, I think is tied directly to the sort of experience of the main character just utterly being taken advantage of is the role of women's labor specifically in making this in function and like the role of waitresses. This show, in my mind, sort of romanticizes a sense of hierarchical structure in business because this does take place in the modern day it's it like romanticizes the employees being all in for this thing and like making sacrifices to make things happen there's one episode where they're really really short staffed and they're like scrambling to get everything done and they're like oh we might you might need to bring in extra help from outside um to get everything done and so uh, ohana decides even though it's her off day or whatever she's gonna go like do everything she can to help the in run she like goes back to tokyo to find toru um and bring him back even though again this like isn't her problem right at all it, she's like taking on full responsibility to make this happen she's really invested in making it happen there's another time where she's on a field trip and the in there that they're at all the waitresses like walk off the job they're like fuck this we're not dealing with this asshole manager who doesn't know what he's doing and he's who's really rude to us and so ohana while she's on this trip while she's a guest at this ryokan she goes in and she like insists on it too 
like they push her away once and then she like comes back later is like you guys are short staffed but i can help you i'm a waitress like let me help you out and so she like helps them run the inn and like set out the dinner for her classmates and then i believe nako and minko join her as well or she helps them get all the work done just because she takes a lot of pride in her work as a waitress and she wants to be the best she can be so much so that she's willing to do it for another inn while she's acting as a guest rather than an employee that being taken advantage of though no not not in that sense i i mean the zones of being taken advantage is like the the premise i'm saying of like using her for labor because she's her granddaughter oh yeah 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 and i want to i want to be very precise about this i don't want to just say i'm critical of this because i think it's good i think it's really cool that ohana takes a lot of pride in her work that she wants to be the best she can be and furthermore i think it's cool that she wants the inn to succeed and she wants the inn to be the best it can be and that she's like not just in a professional sense but in like a real like existential sense even like she's like i want this in to be good like this is what i'm investing myself in now even though again like she didn't choose this it only skipped a generation yeah exactly but um the problem i see with that is because while she takes a lot of pride in her work that doesn't translate to the structure of employment itself so at the end when there's there's almost like partially a mutiny against the manager she's the one employee who still stands by her grandmother and says like i respect your authority like you're the one who's going to pull us out of this like even though i disagree with your decision i'm going to stand with you that's a that's a real time when i think the employees the rest of the employees are doing the work who are not just you know doing the managerial work or whatever who are on the ground that's a time when there's it's hinting towards more collective ownership and saying like if we're all invested in this thing we should be the ones managing it ourselves and you know sharing the profits accordingly rather than having a hierarchical top-down capitalist business structure that's a real time when i think it's too bad that ohana's sense of investment in the success of the inn and in her own labor her own pride and her own labor doesn't translate into a, a more of a challenge to a system that holds that back and that sort of distorts that into a model that doesn't necessarily allow for it to flourish and it kind of it just kind of romanticizes a sense of this work being subservient and the fact that she's her granddaughter kind of emphasizes a, a sense of piety even more or a sense of reverence for authority rather than challenging it so that's, I think, just uh, something that I think is a theme that's sort of a missed opportunity there. Okay, well, that's also like a really extreme theme that the Japanese show like this is not going to have. Yeah, but like, why not? Why not? It might be because the person never thought about making it in general. Even the fact that it might not occur is what I'm saying that's too bad it didn't occur. I'm not saying it as like, this makes the show bad or anything. It's just like, it's it has a lot of these elements that I think could push it in a certain direction so it's too bad that it that it still upholds this particular system when it appears to have the makings of of a challenge to it I don't know I'm just saying also though like you can't I feel like you're not going to be able to expect something like that in a show like this though either I'm not saying that like you're wrong and saying that you can't but it's also like it shouldn't be shamed for not going above and beyond someday maybe it will when it becomes more relevant but like there's also the whole cultural thing of like Japan still, in my opinion, 
still being sexist, the fact that there's only female waitresses, that women are the only ones that can, you know, service other people, is a problem in and of itself, too. Oh, yeah. It'd be nice if it changed. Thank you for bringing that up, because that's the other thing that, that really stuck out to me. And this is something that I'm less cautious about critiquing. I think this is really epitomized in the character of Taro, who's like very explicitly a pervert. Like there's an episode early on where he's like, hey, I'm like writing this smut. And he like always like tries to get Ohana to like, he like wants to read his smut to Ohana to like get her like thoughts on it or whatever. And like, what do you think of this? But he like very explicitly like uses the waitresses at the inn as his like fill-in characters. And he like fantasizes about them having like lesbian intercourse or straight intercourse as well. Um, and again, he's an adult and these are high school students and Ohana again, as kind of her character just kind of rolls with it. I mean, like she, she pushes back against him for sure. She's not just like all in on it. Like she, she's like, you're a pervert, you're gross, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like she's like, get this guy away from me. Like this is, I can't work with him because she shouldn't have to work with him. And there are other instances like, oh, the other instance that I think was really an egregious example of this is the episode where they had like the role players who come and stay there. And they're like these, I think there's like these five sweaty dudes and they, they like do like war games basically, but they're like really bad guests and they like try to like peep the hot springs and they like just do all this gross stuff, but then they expect like the the waitresses to like tolerate it um and like deal with them like being perverts and like trashing the room and and just being assholes and so of course the one sort of head waitress it, it, this corresponds with her arc of like thinking that she wants to find a different job and that she's she basically decides okay i'm going to get myself fired and to do that i'm going to just make this experience for these role players the worst it can be um and so she like at one point she like like fights back against them and like sprays them with water but the problem is that when she like pushes back against them rather than just like goes with the flow that like they're into that even more and so they they see her like being an ass to them or like pushing back against them as like part of the role play basically and that's like for them that's like the best service they can get and that episode doesn't resolve in, like, it makes fun of the role players for sure. And it's like, these guys are stupid idiots. But, like, it doesn't resolve in, in them saying, like, oh, wow, we shouldn't have to deal with these guys. I hope they never come back. That's bad. It's like, oh, like, we found a new way to, like, take care of our customers. Like, we're improving on our jobs because now we can take care of even more difficult customers. Like, you shouldn't have to be su subjected to that. You shouldn't, but I mean, that's like an everyday job thing too, though. Having to deal with sh shitty customers. Yeah, I agree, but like, there's a difference between saying, like, here's a way, like, learning how to cope with these customers for my own well-being versus because the customer is always right or because we always need to be serving customers. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's one thing to like, do to come up with something that allows me to get through the day for my own sake rather than the customer's sake. So like, just like the tolerance for this very overtly sexist environment, and it's not to say it's always sexist or that real cons are sexist, uh, not saying that at all, but like that they have to, as waitresses, that they have to deal with these things that they don't, shouldn't have to deal with and that 
those problems, while they're poked fun at, they're not actually critiqued, which is too bad. Okay, well, we should talk about Katana Guitari before we run out of time. So, um, Katana Guitari, it's a show about this guy named Shichika. He lives alone on this island with his sister, Nanami. And the reason that he lives alone on this island is because um, his father was part of this rebellion and a wielder of this particular form of martial arts. Although it's, it's like a hybrid martial arts sword fighting style, even though it's specifically not using swords. It's called Kyotoru, which is, um, just reading verbatim, a technique in which the user's own body is wielded as a blade. So he and his sister have been, and originally their father, were basically banished to this island more or less to ensure that this form of martial arts dies off. At least that's what the premise states. And so one day this woman named Togame arrives at the island. She's on this quest, more or less, to collect these 12 blades created by um, this master swordsmith from a long time ago. I won't get into all the historical detail because there's kind of a lot of historical lore going on here, but basically um, this, this master swordsmith made these 12 swords and this other emperor like tried to collect all the 12 swords Basically, she wants to collect the 12 swords herself now in the present day, even though they've been kind of scattered and they're owned by all these different people. So she's like, "This I have this quest and I want you to help me. Shichika's like, okay, but I have no reason to help you. Why do you want me to help you? And she goes through this whole thing like, well, people who are motivated by honor, even they can't withstand like the power of the swords or people who are motivated by money, they can't withstand the power of the swords. So I want someone who will fall in love with me. And I want your motivation to help me to be that you love me. And then right as she says that, they get attacked by this... Um, Ninja from the Manawani group. Yeah, the Manawani group. Thank you. Um, so basically what happens is each episode they're fighting, sometimes negotiating to collect each of these 12 swords. Um, the first one happens to be owned by the ninja that attacks them. So the first episode is their encounter with this ninja. They basically journey all throughout Japan and collect one sword a month. They encounter all these different characters. Um, and all the while you're learning about the current um, sort of state of affairs, sort of what Togame's role is, because supposedly she's working on behalf of the government. Um, as like a chief strategist, but it turns out that she's actually not, and that she herself is the, the daughter of a rebellion leader as well. And all the while, this sort of the, the Manuani ninja faction is kind of slowly getting whittled down <laughs> with each encounter. Um, but they're always <laughs> every, episode. every episode, but they themselves are also kind of trying to collect these swords. Um, and then there's also this other sort of antagonist. Different antagonists are kind of ambiguous here, um, but there's Hite, who's this princess sort of character who kind of functions as Togame's, quote, arch-rival, um, but she apparently has her own ulterior motives, and it kind of turns out that she's trying to use Togame to collect the Twelve Swords herself. And basically, to, again, not get into too much detail, um, because I think you kind of just have to watch it yourself to Fully get all the nuances. It. Yeah more or less their collection of the 12 swords is bigger than them 
and it has a lot of sort of historical significance for like what the history of Japan is supposed to look like or like what the quote correct history is um, because it turns out the master swordsmith was using more or less blueprints for weapons that came from the future so he was basically using future technology to alter his present which is for them the past yeah they're trying to save japan yeah so they're trying to save japan and this is all kind of building up sort of to world war ii as well it's sort of implied at the end that like oh like the the nation is going to be destroyed it's again presumably by world war ii but they don't directly say that outright and so it's all about like well are we going to try to preserve japan or just let let the people of the time deal with it when it comes what's our role in that so like and that that sort of element of the plot more or less picks up near the end of the series but it kind of slowly develops throughout for the most part you can just watch it i mean if you would just ignore all that stuff you could just watch it as like an action series kind of but yeah i thought it was really fantastic in a lot of ways i'm really glad i watched it um but Fayan, i'm curious to hear what what you picked up on when you watched Funny story, it. I actually only just finished this like an hour before we started recording. Oh. Because I haven't had time to actually finish it and I just did. And I thought it was actually really a really good series. I was a little bit iffy on it because it's by the same creator as the like Bakamonogatari series. But like the animation was beautiful. The characters were just kind of fun. Like the characters themselves are just really cool. I love the sister character, honestly, a lot. And fucking Tagami is Yukari Tamura, so of course I loved her. And like, I don't know, it's just like, it has so much like sarcasm and kind of humor. It's kind of more dry humor, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It definitely has more dry humor, which is fun. It's one of those where the hero is obviously a strong hero that can't really lose, but they definitely give him situations where he struggles or like they have to use strategy which is isn't always like the cleanest but they do it anyway and like you also just get to really know because the episodes are like 40 minutes long you really get to know like each individual sword wielder too and i think it also kind of semi makes fun of other series that are kind of like it too in a way which is kind of fun I just think it's really funny there's this whole entire ninja clan that you think is going to be like the big bad. And then they're pretty much turn into like Team Rocket. Yeah, yeah. Where it like doesn't matter that they exist at all. It's yeah, that's a really interesting villain camp because again, like like you say at the very beginning, like, okay, these are the enemies, right? And then as it goes on, you they dedicate a significant amount of screen time to like getting into like their own internal politics and like actually focusing on these characters of the ninjas as they get whittled down. You kind of feel like you get to know them a little bit. You you get to be sympathetic with them. I mean, this kind of culminates in the character of the penguin or the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the penguin ninja. Oh my God. Yeah. It's very tragic. It was kind of funny. Apparently these people like cry during this anime. I did not. Yeah. I don't think I cried, but no, it's like the, the ninjas are, the more you you watch the show, just the more sympathetic they become, and and in a way more almost more pathetic. <laughs> yeah. But like a lot of them have like really really strong powers, and you know they're obviously extremely good fighters, but they're just kind of there's just, just not a whole lot matter. of them left. They're just like on their last <laughs> leg, and it's just kind of sad. Well, like well, was it the crane guy? They go to fight the guy who's in the room. It's like episode three. They're the guy who's like sitting in the castle in the one room. He doesn't move at all. 
Yeah. Or something. No, no, no. It was it was the other episode. Sorry. It was with the woman or something. It was like the woman swords woman who has like a thousand other swords with her sword. And she gives like all the swords yeah. to like the little minions. That's right. He shows up. He's like, I'm this crane dude. And then he just dies instantaneously after. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> like there's they build up these characters. They seem like they're really cool. Like it would be really interesting to see like a spin-off of them and like like let them like really use their abilities and and see like what they're all about. But like I mean even with like I just watched what episode 11 last night with the whip girl. Yeah. So hot. It's so cool. And she was like has these whips. She's like I'm going to attack you. He just pulls out two guns. He's like pew pew and she's dead. And you're like oh, oh shit. Okay. I guess this is how this works. Thanks for the anticlimactic. Yeah. But like I don't know, even the main guy character though is so different than other main characters and they try so hard to keep like the main tropes of any other like shonen show because you know Tagame, you have Tagame. I think the funniest part at the beginning of the series like you said um like you said Tagame wants this um wants someone who loves her to fight for her and she's like you're gonna fall for me and then like 10 minutes pass and he's like I've fallen for you. And like, <laughs> there's like no, no good reason why, right? He just yeah. looks at her and he's like, I've fallen for you. Yep. I will follow you and help you on everything you need. And you're like, what? <laughs> and, oh man. And, and so like, it's just like little things like that. Or like, there's the, um, most of the time, like every single character, either they have to give them the sword or they die. I think they got a little liberal near the end. Well, but yeah. there's a there's the one woman um who's the sword master with the, with the wooden sword, right? And mm-hmm. he's like, I'm gonna train you how to like use a sword, and because of his art style of like being a swordless fighter, is his sword play like he literally cannot wield a sword without like dropping the shit out of it. Like it will just like slip out of his hand. It's, it's whatever. And so, to fight him, she's very honorable, right? They really, like, make it this fact of, like, oh, these are two, like, sword fighting styles. One uses a sword, one doesn't, but they have a lot of similar, like, virtues and values, which is interesting. But, like, the main funniness, I guess, of that is, like, they're training together every day for, like, a lot of time. And every time Tagame, you know, like, at this point, they've really, like, solidified their relationship in a way where they're, like, soulmates now. And she's she gets all soon soon on him because she's always soon dead. But she's like, well, I guess you want me to like, I guess I could go watch you, but I'd just distract you. And he just goes, no, not really. And then like that just like hurts her, right? Because she's like, I'm not pretty enough to be a distraction. Well, that's like the whole joke, like because you know in every other series, like if the girl shows up, the guy's like, oh my god, uh, and so like that's what she wants. But she goes and like visits him to go see what they're doing and every time they end up in like some compromising position right when she gets there like every other moment they're they're actually like working on him learning how to use a sword and then she shows up and it's like the cliche he falls on top of her they look like they're kissing but they're not scenes like every single time and so she just gets mad and madder and madder but like i just think it's really funny that like it makes fun of like the cliche romantic comedy drama too like in this series like they just make fun of everything like and then like at the end of it all it was really funny too like he's like yeah, i've trained like for 10 days and i don't feel like i've mastered it but i've learned a little bit and they make up this scheme where he has to be like an amateur again he's like but i've trained now so i'm not technically an amateur and she like kisses him and she's like you've forgotten everything right and he's just, like this what and just like falls over and you're like okay <laughs> sure why not but like it's just it's just like a fun series like that. It's just there's just so many twists and turns too because it just 
you never really know what's going to happen because the story itself is just so not non-linear. You know that it wants to make like as many punchlines as it can almost. It's it's non-linear, but it it's It's linear, but like It's funny because it gives you such a such a solid structure at the beginning. It says, "Here is our journey. We are collecting these 12 swords." And that, you know, it's probably making fun of something like Dragon Ball or One Piece where it's like, "Here's the objective." It, and it follows that every episode, yet it develops in a completely unexpected way. It's like it develops slowly and carefully, and you begin to learn about what's actually happening very methodically. It's really cool, really well told. Mm-hmm. I think it was episode three, I think, is the funny debate that they did. That's is episode that four. four, yeah. The I, huge debate. Oh my I God. love that episode. What do you think? So, okay, so here's, the, here's what happens. They're like, in episode four, we're going to show you the battle of the strongest person ever. And they've mm-hmm. like given up this whole thing that there's this like swordsman who has the like glass sword and he's like the strongest swordsman ever. But then the entire episode is about his sister who is actually the strongest person in the world. Mm-hmm. And like, you're just like, I got kind of debated because we didn't get to watch them fight. But at the same time, it's like fucking funny because they weren't wrong. They actually did show us an episode of the strongest person in the world they set it up in a way too where you expect that there's this other subplot going on like because again these are 40 minute episodes they have a lot of time to move between different elements um and so they set this up they're like all right we're gonna go fight the strongest swordsman but first let's go look at what's happening with his sister on the island as these like three ninjas decide they're gonna go kidnap her and so not knowing anything about the sister or her power at this point. Besides her being sickly. Yeah, besides her being sickly, we just we see these three ninjas and we're like, okay, they're going to go like kidnap her. Um, and that's going to like set up that little plot point. Oh, okay, we're going to have to go rescue the sister. We'll, we'll get this taken care of in five or ten minutes and then we'll, we'll shift back to the swords. But then no, like she kicks the first ninja's ass. And then we're left with the other two ninjas and they're like, they're like playing board games with each other. And they're like, oh, he'll, he'll be back. He's probably fine. And then they eventually start to get worried. And it's, it's kind of this, their slow, like recognition that the sisters like overpowered and stupid strong kind of follows like the viewers trajectory too. At that point, we're like, you're we're like, hmm. There's a lot of time being spent on this subplot. Is this just going to be the whole episode? No, there's no way. We got to fight the greatest swordsman in Japan. And then you start to get more suspicious and you're like, wait a minute, we're like halfway through and this thing isn't resolved at all. This is going to be the whole episode, isn't it? And then sure enough, she defeats the other ninjas. And then at the very end, like I had nearly forgotten about it at this point. (laughs) At the end, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're super self-aware about it, of course. And it's just like you just hear their conversation talking about, wow, that was such an incredible fight with the strongest swordsman in Japan. Wow. What a great file. Wow. What about that move? What about this move? Wow. The way you countered this move with this move. Wow. So crazy. Like, they're really just rubbing it in at that point. Like, yeah, fuck you. You We're not, not going to show you a minute of this fight. And the crazy thing is, too, in the previous episode, when they do, like, the little preview thing for the next one, they were showing him, like, fighting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they do. (laughs) So So they they were, like, seriously committed to the bit. 
It was so good, though. It was. Okay, I mean, it's not like her fight isn't awesome, too. Like, it's no, fucking it really hilarious good. to watch her fight these guys, too. But they also didn't lie to us. It was just fantastic. And, like, because then after this, she actually leaves the island, too, which is funny. Mm-hmm. But she, like, she's just like, I hope that she's because okay. He's really weak. And you're like, aren't you the sickly one? Like, how is he weak? And you see her fight, and you're like, oh, he's weak. <laughs> <laughs> but then you realize, I mean, like, then there's the whole, like, joke, too, of him actually not being that weak either. Because... Right. At the very, very end, with, like... So, like, not only does he have to collect all the swords once, he has to destroy the swords all at once at the end. And this, like... In the joke of SAO, kind of. Like, the whole tower struggle. Like, every level is a different person. And, like, he kills them all in, like, a second, too. And I think the funnier part is that they take an actual minute and a half to span back on each one of the people that he's killed in the tower as if we had not seen them, like, ten seconds prior getting their asses beaten. They're like, here, let's just quick recap. It's like, but we don't need to. They really dwell on that. That whole sequence is super interesting. As you say, because they spend so much time on something that we know is going to... Like, there's no uh, tension in it whatsoever. We know he's going to make it to the top the entire time. With the exception, maybe, of the uh, the final one, Hite's sort of servant guy, because we know he's very strong. But even then, like that's the only fight that has any sort of like semblance of drama and the the even weirder thing is that it's all these new characters too that we've never <laughs> seen once about. except for the like the doll because the doll is the same i love the well you struggled with the doll the first time he's like yeah well you were in her way so <laughs> yeah right but like it's they just introduce they're like hey here's 12 new wacky characters they all have their own like weird quirks but we're not going to dive into them because they're just going to die immediately <laughs> But like it has no no dramatic tension. It's it almost like it feels like a chore, which is itself kind of interesting. That like, all right, we got to get through these twelve. Like this, we got to run the final like, gauntlet. You can't just you know run up the tower. You got to like fight the boss. Like you know make yeah. your way to the boss through his minions and henchmen. It's just a very strange structure. My favorite fight though was like this sword looks like it's useless. Here, just throw it at me. Whips it back at her and nails her in the face and kills her. While breaking the sword, you're just like, okay. But also you have the whole sense of like, oh wow, you're actually stronger than you look because like every other time he was trying not to destroy the sword. Mm-hmm. And then like even the unbreakable sword got shattered in like a second. Yeah, I think that was that was the first one, wasn't it? <laughs> it is the first yeah. one. That also highlights like a, a bigger kind of theme with like his power and like sort of this ties directly into sort of his moral problems as well. Because at the beginning, like, and especially in the um, third episode where he's at the, the shrine and he's dealing with the, the woman who, like, is taking care of all these, like, traumatized women and girls, he ends up killing her in order to get her sword. I think that third episode is really a point where it's like, oh, we're not just fighting, like, villains, right? We're fighting people with good intentions who arguably have much better use for the swords than our protagonists do. And so he kills her. And that's a point where in any other show, like that would be a point where you, the protagonist would find some way to get out of killing this sympathetic character. Like that you never ever would make your protagonist do that. But they did. And so uh, eventually though, 
the trajectory becomes him kind of learning to have a little bit of human empathy and sort of Tagame kind of learning that as well like oh maybe we don't need to kill people um, or maybe like their life is valuable there's some merit to preserving life I guess um, and and for him that's sort of like this sort of essentialist human thing I'm human so I can recognize I'm not just a death machine I'm more than that which is a, obviously a positive development for him he does grow a lot emotionally during the journey mm-hmm. too. But you don't really notice until the last episode. In the in the last episode, he also has to realize that his motivation it's not just tied to Togami. Like most of the story has been him in an in unquestioning servitude to Togami. Like this is what I do. I'm just going to do it and not think about the ethics of it, not think about what I want. I'm just doing it because I've told myself that I love her and that's my purpose. In the process of actually falling in love with her and like seeing her value as a person, that starts to change. But then at the very end, when she's basically like tries to release him from it, you know, he he has this sort of Tokyo Ghoul moment where he, you know, he gets Jokerified and he's like, I'm not work, I'm not working based on her motive anymore. Like I'm just doing this because I want to, which is just like a strange way to end things and definitely an unexpected way to end things. You would expect a series like this to end in, you know, he fully comes to realize his humanity and they're able to do something good together. And that comes about because like genuinely they've fallen in love with each other. And through that, they've come to realize what their journey actually means and what they can actually do together and how to live like a good life where you're not killing people. But that's not what happens. She fucking dies. I don't think there's really a clean resolution, at least for him, in her death. Like, the the resolution is him being incredibly disillusioned with her motives and just his relationship to her and then just reacting very strongly to that. Did you ever figure out what the, the purple eye meant when her eye changed? I was trying to figure that out. I read Because it's a- never explained. And I was wondering if it was like a, oh, I'm in like tradition mode or something was what I kind of got. The imagery of her as like a boa constrictor or I don't know, whatever that like the white snake is um, that you kind of see at the end. And of course, like the snake sort of representing like, you know, in English, we have the imagery of the snake as as like someone who's like who's strategic for their own ends, willing to throw other people under the bus. Is Adam and Eve? yeah yeah so like if you call someone a snake you're saying like like you like manipulate other people for your own ends which she technically tried to do yeah and that's exactly what she she is a snake and that doesn't mean she's a horrible irredeemable person um but that's you know exactly what her relationship with uh shichika is and i think that's like true to her nature in a sense so yeah I, i think that it didn't stick out to me while I was actually watching it, I, I don't think it's super, I don't think it's like 100% accurate, but I do think the eye is related to, it's like kind of her snake self sort of uncovering itself as she's trying to strategize. I don't know if I fully believe her whole statement too of like being like, oh, I just was using you, like you didn't really mean anything to me. Because I think to me, it felt like it was almost one of those like strategies that you push someone away before you, they lose you so they don't feel as bad about what's happening too. That probably was only another pawn on her board, as she likes to say. Absolutely, yeah. 
like it's interesting like to her using saying like there are pawns on my board to me i definitely kind of think that if you're like talking about verbal manipulation of a situation there's definitely like pawns just being chess pieces but like in verbal manipulation when you're trying to like adjust a you know conversation to go the way that you want it to um you kind of think of like oh like there's a b and c emotions that you can play out if i use one of these it might play out this emotion on that person or this emotion on that person and like i got it i very much got it and like understood it because i enjoy analyzing manipulative conversations but like it's just something that i have in the back of my mind when i'm talking to someone to see like expecting a certain outcome to come out when you say a certain thing a certain way sort of feel but yeah so like it's interesting how she like tried to explain that with like pawns like oh feeling like this emotion was just another pawn or my feelings for you that were kind of genuine was a pawn or like and it's instead of being like there were multiple aspects of me that were feeling multiple different things at different times like she did kind of break up between like herself versus the strategian in her, but at the same time, like, they're also just very interconnected because they are her. And it was just a very interesting moment of her, like, trying to explain her, like, not feeling like she gave herself a chance to fully appreciate her time spent with him, in a way, to, like, the fullest and just always thinking ahead or thinking strategically of what's gonna happen in the future, or, like, trying to manipulate him. And, like, I think it's interesting in that sense, but I also, the one part that hit me the most, I think, was right when she died, when she's like, can I fall in love with you? As if, like, she hadn't already, even though, like, she went through so many actions previous that was very, like, jealous or, like, this, that, or that. But then you also have to question, like, were you only jealous because, as a pawn, that was a way to keep him next to you so you weren't losing him because you needed him to succeed in your goal at the end game, right? And so Togami was just a really interesting character, honestly, um, for a female protagonist, too. Yeah, I, I think that summarizes it really well. This is, like, to me, currently the ultimate hidden gem just because of the fact that it's so fucking hard to find, too. Yeah. Like any good OVA. But also just a show that I've never actually heard talk about until my boyfriend mentioned it to me. Then we watched it. But it was just really good. And, like... Mm-hmm. I'm sad that not more people have seen it, but also at the same time, it's like it's like a little hidden gem that no one else has seen, you know? <laughs> and like the 40 minutes really doesn't feel that bad either. Oh my way, God, guys. no, it flies It goes by. so fast. Like, I bet you went into it being like, oh, I have to watch 40 minute episodes, and then <laughs> you're out of it and you're like, okay, let's go to the next one. <laughs> no, I blew through this show. Like, I bet. It was effortless. One other thing I wanted to say about this show, and I accept that this is a bit of a tangent, but... um. I actually just watched a movie last night before recording this called The Master, um, which is an American movie that came out in 2012, but it's basically this movie about this guy, this World War II veteran who's dealing with a lot of trauma and and has like anger management issues, and it's just a very sort of violent person, doesn't really know how to fit back into society after the war. Um, he kind of gets caught up in this cult, basically, that's centered around this particular patriarchal figure, and he gets really attached to the figure, who's, you know, very charismatic, and um, again, sort of acts as a father figure to all the members of the cult, um, kind of becomes almost his right-hand man. And I just realized, kind of watching that, that it has a lot of similarities to Katana Guitari. Um, they both deal with 
this and like in in very specific ways and that they're both dealing with the question of like mindlessly serving a particular quote master or person as like a as a reason for being i think so, it's specifically both in this movie and in katana guitar they explicitly talk about like is it worth living if you're not serving someone else um because katana guitar again in this broader historical context is all about like, what are we creating this history for? Is it for the sake of the current empire? Is it for the emperor? Is it for ourselves? Like, what? how as individuals do we benefit from this alignment of, of national servitude? And again, these are both working in the context of World War II, in a sense. So the master is set after World War II, Gatana Gatari is set before World War II, but they're both thinking about these sort of questions of imperialism and um, nationalism in the context of like a relationship between individuals. So the the relationship between this veteran and the cult leader is actually kind of similar to the relationship um, between uh, Shikichi and um, uh, Tagame. Tagame in terms of just sort of a, a blind attachment, a blind affection, without really understanding the, the broader motives for what's going on. And of course, these are ulterior motives of this other person who is manipulating them to get what they want. Of course, I think in the master, it's a, a bit more nefarious than it is for Tagame, but it's still very similar. And it's also weirdly caught up in the sense of pseudo-time travel. Um, in the master, the cult is all centered around pseudo-time travel in the sense that they believe that you are the same soul sort of inhabiting different bodies throughout time. And in that sense, you're like the same person, like moving throughout time. And so a lot of like the same like conflicts come up or you're interacting with the same people across different bodies. And they specifically talk about like redoing history as well of like, like what is the fake history? What is the real history moving through these different people in these different times? Like, can we shape history? Like, what do we, how do we make it or unmake it or like, their whole effort is like, can we change it, basically, and revert to a state of history or a state of being that is like ultimate and perfected or whatever. Similarly, Katana Gatari, as we talked about, is dealing with this sort of time travel through not literally moving through time, but in harnessing the future, being able to look to other areas in order to influence the present, which then affects how that future will change. It's dealing with these same questions of how do you make a history? What is a history? Like, what is this factual truth? Like, how do you understand the past? Again, this is always tied up in an agency of, like, the individual and of the human species of what gets recorded, what doesn't get recorded, and also what do we have the power to change moving through time, basically. So I just wanted to point that out. I think that these two, even though obviously working in very different contexts, hit on a lot of the same themes in, in very interesting ways and in a very surprisingly similar historical context. So I just wanted to kind of do a little comparative literature for you um, between those two. I did think it was fun in Katana Gatari that like at the end of the day, it didn't even matter what they did. It was kind of the joke of like, they're just like, yeah, it all ended in failure because once we killed the main guy, they just kind of replaced him. But right. we tried and then they just kind of... <laughs> live their own lives afterwards and put the faith of the world into like the world's hand essentially or the future of the world and in the future's hands yeah, yeah pretty much 
I also just one more thing I wanted to make sure we brought up before we move on from this show is the um, sister character. I know we talked about her a little bit, but um, not on me, best girl. I just thought it was interesting because you mentioned earlier how like all we know about her at the beginning is that she has a very weak body and that becomes a significant thing for her too. It becomes her sort of limiting agent but also so she's insanely strong she's so strong that her body can't handle all of her power basically unlike shichika kind of is able to learn she is never able to develop any sort of empathy or value for other life that was an interesting part of it too because she's never like had to essentially work for anything because once she sees it she knows how to do it so it's kind of like you know those people that just like watch one thing once and they're like oh i've mastered the skill and you're like how the fuck do you (laughs) and like and so like she actually tells him that like too at one point that she just doesn't have any sympathy for others because she doesn't understand the struggles of like humans too it's almost interesting too like does she actually is she actually like weak in body or she just can't handle her power like, she doesn't seem, she's technically not weaker than any other human. She's actually stronger than most every other being in the world. But, like, her body being the limiting factor is just an interesting concept, too. Right. And the other thing is, like, she can't die, basically. Or at least she... She did die. Okay, so basically what happened in this, this episode is... So she decides to collect the swords for herself after she encounters these ninjas. The third ninja is kind of almost able to kill her even though not really, is because she's limited by her frail body. But she uses the one of the swords, she stabs it into herself to give herself even more power to kind of transcend her body so she's even stronger than she already was. But then when she encounters Shichika, it turns out that she's wanted to die this whole time um, because she's suffering so much from basically having to live with all of this power. Um, and so she kind of allows him to kill her in a way. Yeah. But it's like it's like him, right? He goes into the tower and he wants to die, but it's not like he's not going to go down without a fight. Right. I mean, he doesn't die, but like it's like in a game too, like when you sometimes when I've I've smurfed in Apex, I know I'm a, I'm a sinful human being. But there's points where I'm like I want to die or like I want my teammate to do well and like let them have fun because I don't want to like kill everybody when I see them because I'm, you know, better than people that were playing if i'm smurfing and so like i'll just let them kind of run around and then when more when my teammates are both down i'm like activate super mode (laughs) and like sometimes i try and like i'm like okay i'm not gonna like crouch spam or i'm not gonna do this thing that's gonna be obviously a better technique and kill them and then like there's this switch that flips right before i die and i'm like no i can't die i (laughs) just kill them and i'm like wait oh no i'm sorry uh shoot wow but it's like one of those things where like, you know, you want to die, like you actively say that, but then something like, it doesn't, it's not like you want to die, just like, like you could easily commit suicide, right? Or like kill yourself, but you want to go down in a blaze of glory in a way. In a weird way, this is kind of similar to Rakugo, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kiku is always kind of struggling with suicide in a way, but is not able to actually go through with it. Katana Gatari. Obviously, the sister is sort of the same sort of conflict arises. Or for you when you're smurfing an apex, you know. <laughs> but she also wants to die by his hand, too, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Like, by her, from her brother. I did think it was kind of funny, though, talking about those ninjas that tried to attack her. The, like, the bee dude or, like, the flying one. The butterfly. Yeah, the butterfly. 
and how he's talking about like how when he goes back he has this huge plan of going on a honeymoon and marrying like the other ninja girl no and you're honestly though i was i thought it was gonna be one of those jokes where it was like he has this huge fantasy that he's just made up and he's not actually like in love like she's not actually right. in love with her back and then you find out that they're actually in love and you're like what yeah because he's like He's like very small too. He's yeah, like he's the like size tiny. of a child, and he's and he's a butterfly boy. And so it's like little butterfly boy has a crush on like this extremely hot, like mature ninja woman. Exactly what you said. But then, oh my god, it's so cute when the whip ninja dies, and she's like fantasizing about him. She's thinking like about her little butterfly to, boy. How her butterfly boy used to carry her across the water. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I almost cried they at that They were in love. Point. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I don't know. This entire show was just... It was surprisingly good. Like, oh, yeah. I didn't go in with expectations, but came out like, damn, this was a really good show, and I hope more people watch it. Mm-hmm. So if you guys ever want a link, we will post a link, if I get permission, into our Applied Anime Discord. And you guys can all watch it too for free in 1080p and own it. Very legal. Yeah, legal. Legal. It's all legal. But yeah, I also was just very charmed by Togame. <laughs> Cheerio! Yeah, it's the Cheerio got me. I so know. cute. It is. And then I love that whole entire exchange of her being like, my one request is that you make everyone say Cheerio. And he's like, you want me to teach people how to say Cheerio in the wrong context? <laughs> I don't think I can do that. And then the final move, he was just like, Cheerio! And you're just like, yes! That's very cute. It's too endearing. It's so cute. I love that. She's just like, wait, you've known this entire time? He's like, well, yeah, I just let you keep doing it anyway. Because yeah. <laughs> he's kind of an idiot, right? Yeah. Like, the idea is that he's kind of this idiot that can't think for himself. And she's like... A this this really smart person, obviously, and like the exchange was just really funny because of that. But yeah, highly suggest guys watch this series. Great, great, great series. So there are a couple other shows that we just wanted to mention briefly before we move on to our punishment game, which will be extra special this episode. But just like a few other shows that we wanted to at least briefly name drop. We're not going to get into them in super detail, but um, trust our judgment. Yeah, just trust our judgment. If I mean, if you're 26 episodes in and you don't trust our judgment at this point, then I think you're never going to. <laughs> so I guess I, I can run through mine first real quick. This is one that's gotten a little more popular recently, just from what I've seen online, or maybe it's just because I've been on Twitter more recently, is Serial Experiments Lane. The show came out in 1998, and it is um, basically about this girl who is kind of a computer program, but also kind of a real person. It's hard to describe this show at all. Basically, it, it gets very, very abstract, very psychological. Really, not a whole lot of it makes sense on a the face of it. very dodo show. It's very confusing and sometimes hard to watch, but um more or less it kind of explores this idea of this girl being the sort of center of this computer program slash um new computer technology that she gets really sucked into but also is always already a part of and like 
she's kind of being manipulated by people, but she's also manipulating people. Just really sort of prescient commentary on computer technology, how it messes with your brain, like what it means to like be engulfed in like the internet or like who you are, like how you perform your identity or who you try to be or not be on the internet in this very abstract and sort of sci-fi psychological way. Um, it's hard to describe better than that, but it's really fucking good. I really cannot recommend it enough. Just when you watch it, obviously go into it not expecting to fully understand it. Another one that I just wanted to point out that just came out in the spring 2021 season is Odd Taxi. When I first saw this, I was just like kind of clicking through. I wasn't really thinking too hard. I was like, oh, this looks like a short series just based on the animation style um, because it's a little more cartoonish and the characters are all like different animals, kind of like... Um, like if you've ever watched like Arthur, it's kind of similar. And so I was like, this looks like a like light short series. And boy, was I wrong. They're full episodes, like 23 minute episodes. And um, it's a really well developed plot. It's, it's able to set up a lot of different, like a ton of different elements in kind of their own separate isolated spaces. And then throughout the course of the season, slowly tie all of these elements together, show how well connected and all happen to be centered around this protagonist who is this taxi driver um, who's kind of this middle-aged man who doesn't really have a ton of friends and is kind of apathetic about the world, but he gets kind of caught up in all of this drama that's going on around him, and he eventually becomes like the linchpin of it all. And so it's just a really, really well-told story. It's funny, it's dramatic. Overall, it has like a very good commentary, again, on technology and what it does to people, how it makes people act, and it and it does it in a way that's not too in your face, I guess. Like it's it, it avoids doing those critiques of of like social media where it's like, oh, everyone's on their phone and no one wants to interact with real people. It's more nuanced than that, while still seriously highlighting its problems. Um, so I think it's just a really well told story. I think especially if you like American movies, I think that also translates well to Odd Taxi. It's also a great anime. And I'll just say one more that I know both of us have watched, but we really haven't gotten the chance to talk about it much on the show, is Ananatsu, um, which is basically just a rom-com. Yeah, it's, it's got comedy, for sure. But it's, you know, a romantic drama, more or less about a guy who meets an alien girl over the summer, and basically it's with him and all his friends, and they're, like, trying to make this movie over the summer. Um, but a lot of times it's just them like hanging out. I don't remember a ton of details about the show, show, but I just remember it's a really, really well done romantic drama. All the characters are very sympathetic and well written and are developed well. And the plot itself is actually very engaging, very captivating. Probably one of the most solid romantic dramas I've ever watched. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Jayon, but. Funny enough, I also have a list. I'm not going to go into as much detail with each one of these because I don't really want to slash i don't think they're as in depth but i mean they are just as good but at the same time like some of these are just like enjoy watching for funsy shows too that's what i like to watch with anime at least but anunatsu is actually on my list also um funny enough i also don't really remember the storyline but i remember coming out of it being like that was a really good series so watch it tell us how it is let <laughs> us remind us why we should watch it again and hit us up because we want to know what you guys think too of what you're 
hidden gems are. Along with that, I have AKB0048, which is a really fun idol show where they are in space and doing like guerrilla concerts because entertainment is illegal. And it just follows like, it's like a typical idol series where you follow the idols as they grow into becoming like the main girls on stage because that's how AKB works. There's a lot of like trainees and then you become part of the main crew. Um, while also just having really fun space fights with like microphone lightsabers. Of course, I couldn't forget bludgeoning Angel Dokura-chan if you haven't seen that yet for funsies. Chihaya Furu is actually a really amazing sports anime that I love getting people to watch because I'm curious to know what they think about it. It's three seasons long though. It starts slow so it can set up for the main story. Get through the first three and you're good. Karuta is a really fun game to follow. It's just it, they do a really good job of making it exciting and like you really want to try it. And I just really love that series and I want more people to watch it. Um, a really old series that I think was maybe more popular in its day is Claymore. Um, it's about a, a civilization of, like, women who uh, go around and, like, slay demons. Um, the Claymores themselves that fight demons are, like, somehow they're half-demon, half-human. Um, and it's just a really interesting tale about a woman who is trying to fight for a society that doesn't fully accept her while also having a little boy tag along and kind of like learning about humanity in a way. I need to rewatch it also because I don't fully remember it, but I remember loving it. Um, Hanayatama is a really fun show if you like some cute girls doing cute things. I just thought the story itself was really fun and the music was fun, but it's also about like traditional Japanese dance with like these little like, I forget what they're called, but they're like little clicker musical instruments that you see sometimes in old traditional dance. They just kind of if they do it on B, it's just really fun to watch. The characters are all fun. The story's fun. Maybe it's average. I'm not really sure because it's like Kirino Mosaic is also a good one, but I thought that was a little bit more mainstream. I'm not really sure where Hana Yatama lays, but I don't think it was as watched. Um, along with Harukana Receive, which was a volleyball, beach volleyball series. A little bit of Yuri mixed in. Cute girls doing cute things, but also just a good volleyball sports series. Two that I really like that kind of go into the isekai genre were Ixion Saga DT. Um, I think that it was the it was kind of the comedy of um, isekais before Kanasuba came out. Kanasuba being like a really big joke on isekais. And, you know, as more come out, there's more jokes on them, like um, reincarnated as a slime and whatnot. But Ixion Saga DT is just a really fun series. I think it's a very big joke on like the isekai genre in general. And I... I remember really enjoying it while watching it and thought it was really funny and I like suggesting it to people because it's just a little bit out there. Um, the show that almost became my favorite series, Oda Nobuna no Yaboi or The Ambitions of Nobuna, um, is like a spin-off series of um, the historical events of Nobunaga, the like Japanese war general, but in female form and it was just like a fun like historical feel to a story of like of like historical Japan stuff and cute girls while also like fighting scenes and just really fun to follow. My two romantic shows or three I guess would be Princess Lover which is kind of I mean I mentioned it once in the harem genre but I actually like really enjoyed that show. I think I still would really enjoy it if I watched it again but it was like one of those first ones that I'm not sure if it was really really good or if like I just thought it was good but I remember like I really want to rewatch it honestly and just like enjoy it again as a show. And then another good show that's actually a yaoi, surprise, surprise, is The World's Greatest First Love. It was probably the only yaoi I'll ever really, really watch, but I really like it. I think the 
characters are really lovable. I love how the stories all kind of intertwine, even though you're following multiple different couples. And it's just like really fun to get to know each pair and their dynamics and just watching them as they grow closer to each other. It's just such a wholesome series. Well, not really wholesome, but it's more wholesome than most yaoi's. They don't, there's not as much um, aggressiveness in them, to put it nicely. Special A, I don't know. I think it was pretty popular back in the day, but I think it's honestly on the list of like romantic comedies. I don't think it's as popular. Um, I know I made Dota watch it back in the day too. I love that series. I thought it was just really fun. Like it's a lot of comedy. It's more comedy than romance, but it's also just a really fun premise. Watching the characters, getting to know them. It's just a it's a fun show, and I I want more people to watch it. Honestly, and then music wise, again going back, Tari Tari was a really fun show about um a girl getting over death and um whatnot. I think I mentioned it in the death episode actually too. But I really like Tari Tari. You guys should check it out. Two um two shows that people might not enjoy as much. One being kind of, actually, I think a children's show called Yumiro Patissierge. I just really liked it. It was all about, like, baking sweets, and the sweets look amazing, but also, like, a girl trying to learn how to make sweets professionally, and it's just, like, you know, it becomes, like, a competition show eventually, but it's also her just, like, making friends with other kids, and it's just, like, a really wholesome, fun series about, like, mad, not really magic, but, like, just baking and enjoying friends and yada yada you know that's all the fun stuff and then finally one of my favorite like not really yuri but yuri series is yuri yuri it's a really funny show about a club i think they're called the amusement club or the entertainment club or something but they essentially are just like a group of friends that do whatever and they just do whatever they want really every single day and just you get to know them and you get to follow them and they just like there's funny things always happening. They always have these like different dynamics between them and they bring back like old reoccurring jokes and there's not like a moment where you're just not kind of like laughing at the characters themselves or like um enjoying a moment in the series. And I know that it was kind of popularish also in its day, but I think it's not as remembered now and I think that if you like watching cute girls do cute things, check it out. But yeah, there's obviously more series that we all both love and you can see them on our my anime list, but these were the ones that we thought were Hidden gems, more so. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on to our punishment game. Punishment game. So we got a very special punishment game for y'all today. This is the culmination of our first season of Applied Anime. Now, what we've done, I went through our spoiler alerts for all 26 episodes, so that includes today's, although I will say I'm only including shows that both Feon and I have seen. Um, so there are... Some shows that were in our spoiler alerts, but that only one of us have seen, I did not include that in the bracket. It's on bracketfights.com if you search AA's best anime bracket fight. And it's also, of course, in our Discord. You can find it as well. What we're going to do today is go through the bracket fight together. We're going to go through each decision. We're going to discuss it and decide on which we think is the better show of the choices, all the way up till we decide on what our favorite anime is together. But there is a catch, and that catch is that we each have a certain number of veto votes. And what those veto votes allow, so let's just look at this very first choice. We have O Maidens in Your Savage Season versus Rising of the Shield Hero. Now, if I really, really want O Maidens to win here, let's say, and Feyon really wants Shield Hero to win, we're not able to decide, then I can put a veto vote on here and say, no, I want O Maidens to win. Now, Feyon is really really invested in in shield hero she can also put in a veto vote 
and we can put in as many veto votes as we want in each decision until we run out. Now we get veto votes based on how many times the other person has gotten punished in previous episodes. And so that's total for the whole bracket fight. Mm -hmm. So in case you're wondering, Dodo gets nine points because I've been punished only nine times. I mean, guys, it was a surprise, right? I haven't been punished that many times, apparently. Because Dodo gives me 10 points because he's been punished 10 times. Right. Yeah. We've also punished, obviously, our guests, and they were punished about five times altogether, but we don't count those points, unfortunately. Yes. Indeed, I have been punished more than you by one, so you get one extra veto vote. Ha! Oh, and the other thing is, if we get to a point, let's say, um, where neither of us wants to use our veto votes, but we still disagree, or if we have used veto votes and we're putting the same number into the same decision, then we just flip a coin to decide in that case. So sometimes you just leave it up to fate to decide. Yep. All right. So here we go. From the top. You should play along with us at home if you like. Um, but I think we'll, we should all have the same decisions to make. So first one. Old Maidens in your Savage Season versus the Rising of the Shield Hero. We all know what wins. Mm, well, I definitely think Old Maidens is better, personally. No, I think Shield Hero is better. Right off the bat, listeners, we've already <laughs> reached a disagreement. <laughs> Was it unexpected? No. The question is, do I want to already use a veto here? <laughs> Uh, I can see your reasoning for Old Maidens, but like enjoyment-wise, as a series, I think Shield Hero is just better. Like Old Maidens, it's not bad. It's not good. It makes you feel a lot of icky feelings sometimes, which isn't bad. But Raftalia, <laughs> this is the make or break it. Do we choose the non-popular anime versus the po- one of the most popular ones of the season currently? LOL. I will say I will not use a veto vote. I will say you're going to have to use a veto vote or we'll have to coin flip it. I'd say we just coin flip it. I'm down for the coin flip. Heads. Bam. Yes. Fate is on my side. Let's go. Hello. Dodo of the future here. As you can probably tell by that first decision, it took us well over an hour to get through every decision in the bracket. So, you know what that means. It's time for a montage. I won't include every single decision we've made, but I'll try to hit the biggest and most controversial ones. So, enjoy. Happy Sugar Life versus SAO. Happy Sugar Life wins. Sorry. My life as a villainous all routes lead to doom versus world God only knows. This is hard. Okay. No, it's not. I really liked Villainous, but the world God only knows is a better show. No Game No Life versus Flowers of Evil. Ooh. I like both these shows a lot. I think you're going to pick No Game No Life. Wrong. I'm actually going to choose Flowers of Evil. Really? It's a better show than No Game No Life. No Game No Life literally has one good episode. Like the story itself is better overall than than No Game No Life. I agree. Angel Beats versus Arakawa Under the Bridge. Arakawa Under the Bridge. That's one that we probably disagree with most people on. Ooh, okay, Yamada-kun and the Seven Witches versus uh, Ekuda-chan. Yamada-kun and the Seven Witches. I disagree. I'll throw one veto vote on this. I'm throwing two. Okay, mm-hmm. you win. Yamada Kun it is. Now we have seven and seven. Now it's even more fun because it's even. Ooh, okay. Food Wars versus Your Lie in April. Story-wise, I think Your Lie in April is better. Food Wars is still a good series. There, there are a lot of series here that don't deserve to lose in the first round. Yeah. But alas, are. we must choose. Cowboy Bebop versus 91 Days. 
and it's I know where I lie. They're both 91 great. days. Nope. You can veto it all you want. You can use your points. I am 91 days in this camp. I'm not veto bidding this shit. I'm going to leave it up to fate. Oh, well, I'm putting a veto on this because I'm not leaving it to fate. Yeah, because you know you're going to lose. I'm reversing fate. We're going on bracket side A. Next round. We got some hard decisions coming up. God only knows versus Katana Gatari. I think Katana Gatari is better. Katana Gatari. Yeah. Tatami Galaxy versus Flowers of Evil. These are two that I like a lot more than you. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the factor you have to worry about. Alright, I think Tatami Galaxy is better. Oh, really? And what do you think? Okay, I can be convinced. Tatami Galaxy it wins. I was like 50-50-ish. I didn't care. I'm kind of, I'm still, like, this is still very, very close for me. Like, I'm... He's, I feel like you're in pain choosing a show over Flowers of Evil, but it's Absolutely. okay to get rid of that right now. Lone the Sea versus Madoka Magic. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you, Chisaki. I love you so much. Yeah. But Madoka wins. I agree, but... They're not even on the same spectrum. It's sad. Parasite versus Cross Ange. Ooh. These ones are hard, but I still like Cross Ange better. I think I think Parasite's a better show. They're both great. I mean, I'm down for a coin flip. Bam. Parasite. Parasite. Haikyuu versus Cowboy Bebop. Haikyuu. You're going to make me use all my vetoes just to get Cowboy Bebop to a place it deserves to be. So either we roll for it or you can give up points again. All right, final. I'll let it coin flip. Ooh. Justice is served again. Happy Sugar Life versus Katana Gatari. Oh, oh no. Um, Katana Gatari. Yep, yep. Arakawa versus Your Lie in Your April. Lie. I still think Your Lie in April's better. I think Arakawa's better. Fine, coin flip it. I'm four for four in these coin flips. I know. Parasite versus... I'm still gonna say Parasite. I still think Cowboy Bebop's better. Flip it. Oh, he's five for five, baby. Oh, no. Katana versus Madoka. Woo! Heavy hitters. That's hard. I think Madoka's better overall. I'm gonna go with my gut and say Madoka. Arakawa versus Cowboy Bebop. I think Cowboy Bebop's still better. Why be in space when you could just be under a bridge? Flip it. There it is. Cowboy Bebop doesn't deserve all this love. Literally, it's won like three coin flips in a row. Madoka Magica versus Madoka Magica is better than Cowboy Bebop. Fine, fine. I, I agree. I agree. Yes. Cowboy Bebop shouldn't even make it this high. I disagree Wait, with Monica that. Monica Magica but... deserves, is better than Cowboy Bebop, and yes. I think that's the winner for bracket A. Alright, now back to round one after that climax. Well, this is bracket B, round one. Not necessarily lesser, just happens to be on the right side of the board. Yamishibai versus Wodakoi. Yamishibai. I'm gonna spend a point for Yamishibai. Wow, okay, I think do it, it deserves to move on. Ooh. Bunny Girl Senpai versus Asobi Asubasei. Bunny Girl Senpai. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But it's close. I think it's close. They're hard to compare. Oh cool. my oh, god. Oh, I'm sad we're gonna lose this early. Oh no. Oh no. Why? Why? So, oh. listeners, this is this is uh, Rakugo versus Scum's Wish. Now, judging by a lot of the anime community, this would be no question choice for Rakugo. Of course, very well-loved show versus a very hated-on show. But for us at Applied Anime, these are two of our hands-down favorite shows of all time. Rakugo's so good. I, I'm very sad this has to be so early on. This is a travesty. I feel very sad that this is happening, but Scum's Wish wins. 
I love Kuzu no Honkai too much. I think Scum's Wish is 0.1 percentage point better, but it's highly subjective. I hate to see Rakugo go. I'm sorry, Rakugo. Ugh. Hakaguri versus Plastic Memories. I could see a lot of people choosing Plastic Memories, but Kakaguri is a better show. I'm sorry, Plastic Memories. Ass Class versus Perfect Blue. <laughs> Obviously, you all know I would totally choose Ass Class in this situation. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> Uzaki-kun versus Death Note. Come on. This is, it's obviously Death Note. Really? <laughs> really? I mean, I'm trying really hard not to do it, but like, at the same time, like, the second half of Death Note was boring. I mean, I know that Death Note is a better series and I'm gonna choose it, but let me have a moment with Nozaki-kun to say goodbye, because it was still a good show. Shirobako versus School Live. That's an interesting matchup for sure. I think I still like Shiro Bako more. I think Shiro Bako is better at doing what it tries to do than School Live is. I think School Live is still better. Point flip. They're both great. They are both great. Oh, no, oh, you won that bad. one. Shiro Bako wow. it is. Nisekoi versus Tokyo Ghoul. Nisekoi. Nisekoi. Another versus uh, Moto. Very different shows. I think another's better. I do agree another. I don't think it'll get far, but I do agree that another should win this bracket. This is five centimeters per second versus Dokura-chan. Oh, my Dokura-chan. Probably the easiest choice in the bracket. No, my easiest choice in the bracket was choosing everything over Cowboy Bebop. All right, round two for B-side. Kakaguri versus Perfect Blue. Fuck, that's really hard. I think Perfect Blue is better. I think Perfect Blue is also better. Fuck. I'm sorry, Kakaguri. Oh, there's no justice in the world. Gonna be Satoshi Khan versus Makoto Shinkai. No. Death Note versus Orange. Death Note. Death Note. By Orange. Shiro Bako versus Night is Short Walk on Girl. I'm still going with Night is Short Walk on Girl. I think Night is Short Walk on Girl is a better anime, but Shiro Bako is still a good anime. Absolutely. Your Name versus Violet Evergarden. Your Name. I agree. Caprica versus five centimeters per second. This isn't fair. But this just happens, man. I can appreciate there's a lot going on in Paprika and that it does a lot of stuff, but I think that the simplicity of five centimeters per second is better. I know you agree with me deep down and you just can't admit it to yourself. I don't think so. I think Paprika's better. Coin toss. Paprika wins. Oh, I feel bad about that one. I feel like I, I betrayed myself. You really did. Funny Girl Senpai versus Gum's Wish. And we all know that Gum's Wish wins. Yeah, Funny Girl's great though. It is so good, but not as good as Gum's Wish. That's probably also another very hot take from us. Okay, Perfect Blue versus Death Note. Perfect Blue is still better than Death Note. I do agree. Night is Short, Walk on Girl versus Nisekoi. Nisekoi's better. I do actually agree. I think Nisekoi is better. Your Name versus Paprika. Well, I know your choice. I think Satoshi Khan is an overall, like, more consistent director. And um, Makoto Shinkai is a hit or miss. I think Your Name hits hard. Yeah, I think it's better. I agree. But I, I will also agree and say Satoshi Khan, better director overall. Um, Scum's Wish versus Perfect Blue. 
I still think Scum Swish is better. I disagree. I think Perfect Blue is better. I will use a point for Scum Swish. I'll go two. I'll put two vetoes on. I'll put three. Nah, I'll concede. Scum Swish it is. So we each have four. Nisekoi versus Your Name. I think it's Your Name. I think Your Name is... It does better in a short amount of time. I still love Nisekoi, though. Oh, absolutely. Any show that makes it this far is beloved by us. Your Name versus Scum's Wish. Oh, that one's hard. I still like Scum's Wish more. Uh, I think it's Scum's Wish. I think Scum's Wish is better. It is. Fuck. And the final. Madoka Magica versus Scum's Wish. Here it is. This is the final choice of the night. I've, I've made my decision. I know you've made your decision. In this particular comparison, right, I like Madoka more because it's willing to comment on things outside of interpersonal relationships or like social being. Madoka does that for sure. It's one of its central themes, but it's also, I think, packs a bigger existential punch that Scum's Wish gets to that territory as well, but not nearly as much. Scum's Wish is a lot more focused on doing this really in-depth, um, really nuanced, really artful understanding of what relationships are like, what love is like, where it falls off, and getting to people's like inner jealousies, their backstories, like what makes people tick, what makes people act in dishonest ways and hurtful ways, um, what are people's true motivations and how they deal with each other. Like I'm saying, the scum's wish, the, those things it deals with are social problems beyond like, oh, like these are the problems of romance. Like it's it's doing a great a, a larger social commentary. Monica is doing a social commentary and it's doing it in a grander scale that isn't afraid to like fuck up the world around it. And obviously that's like part of the genre. Like scum's wish isn't a fantasy show. It's not dealing with anything supernatural. And so obviously like that's. That's part of the, the strength of the genre of Monica being a magical girl show. It's able to, has more leeway in that sense. And I think it really works for it. Um, and it's able to address, again, like these uh, questions about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a girl, what it means to be innocent versus corrupted. I mean, that's all over Scum's Wish. And they both address that question of innocence versus corruption and like all the problems with that dichotomy so well. For me, like the the scale on which Monica does it, it, it's able to do it in all of these different contexts. It's able to express it in so many different ways and look at it at all these different dimensions very critically. And it does it in a very entertaining way that still pulls you in and captivates you. Scum's Wish really entertaining too, but I think Monica has more tools at, at its disposal and it uses all of them so well. Just to summarize all of that, Monica just does more. So that's that's my perspective. Fun question of the day, last one. Which one do you think I'm going to choose? I think you choose Monica. Why? Because they both obviously are subverting something. Like Scum's Wish is subverting like romantic dramas. Monica obviously is subverting Moe Dump slash Magical Girl shows. I do love those types of qualities in shows. Absolutely. That's why I like Asobi Asobase. Yeah. My guess is that you would choose Monica for being a show that is able to still employ that genre really well while still adding all of these new ideas, critiques, thoughts to it. They're both wonderful series. I both love both of them in different ways. 
Scum's Wish is, I mean, it's a really good show. I love the animation of both of them. But, like, as you said, Scum's Wish focuses on, like, one kind of theme and just runs with it. Where Madoka, like, depending on where you want to go, you can go almost anywhere with Madoka. There's so many different themes. There's so many different things going on at once. But it's also not hard to follow. And, like, even if you weren't looking for anything to analyze in that show, you'd find yourself enjoying it. Um, I think they do a really good job just storytelling in Madoka. Not that they don't in, Sc- in Scum's Wish, too. But, like, the way that they just plan out the entire series of Madoka is just so amazing. And, like, Madoka's just such a well-crafted series. Like, you hate some characters, you love some characters, you you just feel for the girls, you feel for everybody involved, and, like, everything like it's not that you don't feel for the characters in scum's wish but like you usually pick like a character that you kind of follow and you're like oh yeah this one's the one that maybe i can identify with or like it's interesting to meet all the characters but it's not like like you feel for them but you also don't feel for some and then like you're questioning like is this really okay to like feel this way for this thing or whatnot which is the beauty of scum's wish of itself but i just i think that madoka is a series that really like Scum's Witch is a good series, and it takes the theme and it runs. Madoka takes a theme, and then it runs, but it also has, like, a bunch of other themes all, like, coming into one and just, like, going. And, like, you always, like, feel like you're gonna learn something new, kind of, when you watch it, too. It's kind of crazy. Like, there's just so much going on in such a show that there doesn't feel like there's a lot going on. But Madoka, Madoka Magica is a very good show, and I think it is better than Scum's Wish. All right. Well, in our final decision, we organically reached agreement. So I'm going to symbolically dump my four veto votes into Modica. I will also dump my four veto bo- votes into Modica for funsies. We'll give, no, 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 I'll give three to Modica, <laughs> one to Kazuno, Kazuno Honkai. Okay. Nice. You know, I, I agree. I think that's a, in the spirit of sportsmanship, I'll do the same. But there you have it, folks. You now know the reasoning behind our anime bracket and how we came to be that Madoka is the best anime that applied anime has enjoyed together. And now, for our final act, we will now read a awful review about Madoka Magica to punish us both. Ugh. One last expert review. One last expert review. The last hurrah on our last episode of Applied Anime. This one's gonna hurt. Our expert reviewer is, or sign-on, he actually edited it from being a 5 to a 1 because it was Moe and it was written by Gen Urobochi. Are you ready? I'm ready. And we both, we both have to agree. Yes, we do. It's great. Madoka Magica seems to be those love-it-or-hate-it type anime. And as someone who doesn't like it, I hope I can, ex- I can still explain both sides of the debate. But first, I'll describe its basic story structure, characters, themes, and take into account. Apparently, Gen Urobochi, the creator, is known for having a deconstruct. is famous for deconstructing, I guess. Um, can be summarized as twist designed to show the foreseen negative consequences arising from heroism and idealism. In doing so, the show establishes a world full of inevitable tragedy in order to set up for hopeful conclusions. It tries to bring you low so that the message of hope feels uplifting and cathartic at the end. Along the way, the scenarios that the magical girls find themselves in evoke several questions, such as, is the sacrifice required to be a hero really worth it? Am I doing heroic acts for selfish reasons? Is good destined to be negated by bad? Is tragedy inevitable or is, or can fate be changed? The characters are very de- 
divisive on one hand, and the girls have a compelling internal conflict in sympathetic situations. On the other hand, their personalities by themselves are archetypal, and in 12 episodes, there is not enough time and attention given to them to flesh them out and give them fuller arcs. Isn't that right? They didn't have enough time to flesh any of the girls out in this 13 episode, or they didn't feel like they were fully developed in any way, shape, or form. No, not at all. I didn't feel like I knew any of them at all by the end. Monica is an, is an exception with regards to Fuller Arc because she is one character that the show follows for 12 episodes. But again, her personality remains archetype. Mm. On the other end, Homura is the most egregious example of how rushed the characters were, as her backstory was given in one episode and her relationship with Monica was established in a few minutes. Many people will cry for her backstory because the trope they use is poignant, but since Madoka Magica never puts in the work to put the meat on the bare bones framework, all I see is a plot device used for cheap emotional manipulation. Man, Homura just wasn't well defined at all as a character and was just used for cheap emotional manipulation, right? I feel that, like, she definitely, definitely did not... I can't words. When I think of a character in across anime, like this was a character that was rushed. Yeah. And yeah, I think of Homer. I didn't feel like I knew Monica Magica. Mm-hmm. What a rushed character. Just throw. Yeah, Monica in there. Magica doesn't even put the meat on the bones. Like we're eating. Nope. We're not even getting full fulfillment from this series. It's just. Yeah, it's it's kind of like if just episode eleven just didn't exist at all is what I would think about this review if. They weren't an expert. You can switch off reading it. In combination with the story, the characters feel like they were designed to propagate the message and carry out the twists rather than people first and foremost. (laughs) What? Oh, like the characters serve the plot rather than standing on their own as characters. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean... The characters definitely didn't... What is your your theory of writing then? expert like hey this man uses he has an original interview in this thing okay moving on this makes sense when you consider how gen irobochi describes his writing process for the show he said he would first determine the actions and the ultimate fate of a character before even assigning it a name and contrast this with other writing methods that first focus on developing the characters and then creating a storyline for them to follow according to wikipedia's paraphrases of his interview original interview found here and they posted the link in addition, comments made by the creators strongly indicate that their intention was to shock viewers by lulling them in with the cutesy exterior and following it up with death and despair. All this is relevant because, one, a show should be able to stand on its own even if you know the shock is coming. Two, some people praise the show for the shock effect itself. Three, the show has a reputation for being a deconstruction of the magical girl genre. I'd love to evaluate a show on its own merits, but in this case, it's necessary to disentangle Monica Magica from its hype and shock value factor before i can do that so first is madoka magica good because it's a deconstruction of the magical girl genre my response is was there anything worth worth deconstructing in the first place as literature nerd said the magical girl genre has always been tongue-in-cheek i don't think anyone who watches a magical girl show is unaware that it's a bad idea to put so much power and responsibility in the hands of an adolescent girl while also endangering her life furthermore i doubt that these same people are sitting there complaining about the cartoony unrealistic stories in an animated show whose main target demographic is young girls. Think that one through. Bottom line is, simply exposing all the downsides of being a magical girl isn't saying anything groundbreaking. Evangelion wasn't just a show depicting all the downsides of being a mech pilot. That was only one facet of a larger central theme about depression. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> well, you're, he's right, right? You know, it's the... 
the only thing that they're really being groundbreaking on and exposing is that ma- like this is the magical girl genre. Yeah, something that was already obvious. Mm. Wow, this one's tough because they're not just saying I thought this looked bad. I thought this looked shitty. This wasn't well written. They're presenting a real argument, and that real argument is just very expertly written. Oh, can you not fight it? I mean, like in a non in a non world where we don't have to actually agree with everything, would you not fight him on that? No, I would absolutely. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to play the game. <laughs> He's trying to. He's like, I have so many things I want to say. <laughs> this this is by far the worst punishment. Unfortunate. I mean, I just kind of ignore people like this, <laughs> but I agree. You can you can keep reading. Yes, I agree. Everything they said is perfect. That's not to say that all Madoka Magica tries to be a, de- a deconstruction of the magical girl genre, especially since it's since at its core, it's more of a deconstruction of idealism and a proponent of hope in the face of despair. So I'm not bashing the show, but pointing out that being a deconstruction of the magical girl genre wouldn't be primarily what makes it good. However, I do think the show's reliance on shock factor to deconstruct idealism and heroism undermines what it's trying to do and this is because the shock by its nature is jarring and unexpected thus using shock factor to show that there are negative consequences to idealism and heroism isn't a dis causes a disconnection between cause and effect sorry instead of telling a fluid reasonable story about how being too idealistic can gradually turn someone sour and lead them down a path of self-destruction the situations in monica magica come across more as you try to do the right thing and then the inevitable leads to something bad happening even if that something had a one in a million chance of happening as a series of consequence as a series of coincidences the story is blunt and heavy-handed in its attempt to discuss idealism but in fact, it goes further and lays down laws of karmic destiny that stipulate that something bad happens every time you try to do something good. By contrast, Griffith's actions at the end of Berserk certainly create a lot of shock, but at the same time, his decisions felt natural because the show had spent so much time creating ambiguity around the nature of Griffith's ambition. Monica Magica came the closest to this with Sayaka's story, but not only was it too rushed, the introduction of karmic destiny and the inevitable fate of magical girls undermines all the naturality of her arc. It's quite telling about his philosophy that Urobochi used Osama bin Laden as an example when he said that good intentions don't always lead to good results. Terrorist good intentions meant killing a whole gr- bunch of people and they succeeded. They achieved exactly the results they wanted. Urobochi has characters try to help each other, only for it to somehow backfire and lead to them getting killed. Um... Wow, there's a lot in this. Uh, I mean, I know there's a shock factor, but like, who doesn't know that Madoka Magica turns on episode three, though, by now? Yeah. So is it really a shock anymore? Like, I get that they're trying to be a shock factor and like the whole thing with... Sorry, I'm not supposed to actually argue with this thing. Yes, the shock factor really made it so it wasn't as good and damn. Yeah. Whenever a uh, director uses a particular tool to try and get a particular reaction from an audience... That's just a cheap way to further the plot in a way that would otherwise not work. Um, so and clearly, he doesn't do a good job of like showing the deconstruction of magical girls because we already know that like everything is gonna just happen as it is, and so like it doesn't matter that Sayaka like goes crazy for any sort of reason, and we definitely don't understand her reasoning why, and it's very superficial of why she turned out the way she did. But mm-hmm. no, no, it's. I think the target target audience of young girls that watch that watch these magical girls shows definitely have the sort of 
um, epistemological tools to be able to deconstruct the genre as they watch it and understand that it's self-aware, tongue-in-cheek, and that the, the messages that they're seeing aren't to be taken literally and that um, there's a lot more nuance going on. I know that children tend to have that sort of perspective when they, when they watch those shows, so really anything like Madoka that would attempt to subvert those messages is really a slap in the face to those kids who are already doing that that intellectual work. Are you ready? Because the show is so forced, so blunt, so contrived in order to produce shock factor, its message of hope doesn't have the proper foundation to lift off. As a viewer, I didn't feel hopeful at the end because I knew all the bad stuff that occurred in response to idealism were either highly unlikely or entirely preventable and just seemed shocking because the girls were too immature to think two steps ahead. Yeah, I mean, especially thinking about Homura, she's someone who never thinks ahead at all. And definitely no. the entire uh, premise of her rushed character development is not based at all character. about trying to plan for the future or planning two steps ahead. I mean, no. that's definitely not why she time-traveled back in time a million times um, in order to She was just hoping for the same herself. response every time. Yeah. Maybe she just liked watching Monica die. Yeah, I think if she just had a little more foresight... This all could have been prevented Damn. pretty easily. So Naive children. On that note, the best case I can make for the show thematically isn't that it's a deconstruction of the magical girl genre or idealism, but rather a coming-of-age story. That way, the stupid decisions of the girls and unforeseen events make sense from the point of view of adolescent girls, because making decisions as you mature is hard and scary and reality seems beyond your control. Though the show would still be too rushed, the character's too bland, and the event's too contrived. Thematically, it would be more sound. Oh, I agree that it's a coming-of-age story. Yeah, it, it is a coming-of-age story, but it, um... Mm, <laughs> it can't be both? <laughs> right, no, it can't be both because it used a shock value. Oh, oh, yes, you're right. It's too heavy-handed, right, right. Fayon. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. It's deconstructing um, that's something that's already tongue-in-cheek. Therefore, you can't deconstruct it. So you have to just focus on it being a come-of-age story. Yes. But you can just, like, you know, take that theme and analyze the whole thing over again and, like, think of it in a more positive light? No. They make stupid decisions, and so it's um, the most we can squeeze out of this. Oh, okay. So This, this damp is just... rag is that it's uh, <laughs> making it. decisions is hard, and that's all we can get out. On the other side of the debate, it's easy to see this show's working for a lot of people. Though the show is rushed, the fast pace and shock factor can make for a thrilling ride. Though the characters are bland in terms of personality, the situations the girls find themselves in and their internal conflicts might be compelling and sympathetic enough to draw you in. Though the events are contrived, it seems many people have found them rich and philosophical and moral implications, especially when you talk about fate. If you buy into everything here, then you will be emotionally invested enough to be wowed by its hopeful finale. If you want to see an anime that actually has, that's actually about girls realistically deals with despair and hopeless fate, watch Red Garden. Right. Yeah, I watched Madoka Magica for the realism of it. Yeah, that was, you know, what drew me in. It looked so realistic. Well, now that we've made Dodo re. That was, I will just say that anyone with other qualifications, were they to write this? Were they not an expert? I would have much to say in response that it would be highly critical of some of the foundational points of their argument. However, because they're an, uh, an expert, I blindly agree with everything that they have said. And mm -hmm. I will accordingly change Madoka Magica, the only non-movie anime on my anime list, 
That is a f- perfect 10. I will Re-evaluate. change it down to a 1. No, I won't actually, but... Yeah, I mean... I mean, I will say it took me a while to find a bad review. Honestly, mm. like, a lot of them are 10s and 8s. Yeah. I also can... Can we appreciate that J.S. Bach has a section on MAL? <laughs> because he's... No in... voice acting roles have been added. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> but he's in so many shows. He's in more anime than I've been in. Fucking weeaboo. (laughs) Who knew that fucking Bach (laughs) was gonna make it into anime someday? I don't even think he did. That's what you get for being old and all your music being royalty free. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we can end on a little bit happier now. (laughs) Woof. What a way to end the season, Feyon. He did. That was a rough ending. Well. Indeed. I don't know. I think it's worth at least briefly commenting on overall what we've done, what we've accomplished in our first season. Yeah. Can't speak for you, but speaking for myself, I think I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. Obviously, we're not the most um, focused on being informative, or it's not like we're, we ourselves are experts on everything we talk about, but I think hopefully our conversation has generated some solid analysis, some solid insight to help people think a little more critically, think a little more expansively about their anime consumption. True. I'm honestly really impressed that we made it through like a whole year. I'm really proud of us. Like I didn't think we'd be here and like, but I, you know, I just kind of was like, hey, I kind of want to do this thing. And you were like, okay, sure. And like, we did it. We actually got all the episodes we wanted to out. And like, that's kind of the mm-hmm. cool part. I mean, like any good anime, we had our good episodes, we had our bad episodes. <laughs> if you had an episode to suggest to somebody, which episode would it be? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, it would depend on the person and what they're looking for. But if I were to just pick one episode to show, like, this is the one episode that everyone will know you for. It's a great question. I think Distortions of Moe might be one of our best, not just because we're talking about Madoka Magica. Our episode on AI and technology was pretty good, I thought. True. It's hard to, like, remember all of them when you're asked, like, point blank range. Oh, yeah. Delinquency and Rebellion, I actually thought was quite good as well. I did enjoy the fun ones, too. Like, Overrated Bad series was just kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Harem's was pretty good. College was pretty fun, like, as a series to watch different ones. I loved Idol Culture, though. Yeah, Idle Thoughts was a good episode. I think Idle Thoughts was probably one of our better first ones. I'd say overall, probably Distortions of Moe is one one of our most solid. And one of our least listened to, at least proportional to when it came out. Interesting. I will say now, though, that I do not think I can No, 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 no. You gotta give the thoughts. It's like every other anime. You give the thoughts and we're continuing. And we never show up again, Dodo. Right. So we, we end, we have this nice... Nice solid ending into our next season, guys. Get excited. We're going hardcore next season. Please don't expect anything from us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're both full-time graduate students slash workers. Um, this is obviously something we're doing as a hobby. We're not making any money off of this. Um, and so... We're actually losing money because we have to rent shit to watch. Yeah, that's true. I mean, cost I would happily pay anyway to enjoy anime. Oh, yes. So. But it's okay. I think the the best thing out of this experience was, one, just having fun talking about anime for hours because it's really nice to just take the time to do it. Two, watching shows that I might not 
get around to watching and being forced to watch them. Like, mm-hmm. in a good way. Absolutely. And we got some adorable chibis out of it. <laughs> and, I, yeah, honestly, just being f- forced to sit down and really think about these anime critically has given me a much better appreciation than I otherwise would for a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you, Feon, as my co-host, challenging me to justify myself, clarify my thoughts, even when I'm going in circles and... Doing what the dodo do. Yeah. And, of course, I appreciate you challenging my perspective and sharing your own perspective. The The reason that we do this podcast in the first place is because I think we value each other's insights and anime quite a bit. And I certainly value yours. And I know a lot of our friends, especially those we've had on the show, were heavily influenced by your perspective and coming to enjoy and appreciate anime. So. Oh, yes, young over a snapper. I have very <laughs> much information about anime. But, no, I just... It's fun to get more people into it. It's fun to see like where everyone kind of falls on the on the spectrum of like what type of shows they like or what they like about this series or whatnot. I mean, you challenged me too to watch series that aren't my particular favorites, but still got them done. Like I watched Cowboy Bebop finally. I might not have enjoyed it. I might not have loved it, but we watched it and now I can say I have. That's the important part. But no, I had a fun time. This was a really enjoyable experience. I'm glad we got to bring some of our friends on, too. Yeah. I'm really glad we just, like, did it. Like, part of me just, like, we did it. We held on for an entire year, and we did the things. We don't get the most plays? Yeah, no. But we actually completed our goal, and that's the more important part of it. Exactly. But anyway, I guess we should close. It feels very weird. <laughs> our question for you guys this week, though, is... What are some shows you guys consider some hidden gems? If you want to tell us, you can tell us using messaging on anchor at listen.appliedanime.com. Tell us on our website at appliedanime.com where you can join our Discord channel, (laughs) which you can find if you scroll down from the homepage a little bit because I don't want to read a lot of random letters and numbers, guys. It's a lot of work. And then if you really are feeling it, you can tweet us or message us on Twitter at twitter.appliedanime.com. Thank you all for listening to Applied Anime. This has been a really fun, long season one. We hope you guys join us for season two. But as of now, this has been Fan And Dodo Ballet. Signing off.